as surfers, we have a natural love for the ocean, being in the water and chasing thrills. Surfing and surf culture is at the core of Loose. We are a brand made for all-day thrill seekers, experience makers, and good time chasers. Inspired by the elements of surf that excite us the most, we create products begging for adventure, both into the water and out of the water. There's no stamp of approval needed to vibe with our tribe. So drop your inhibitions and get loose because fun feels better. Loose towels. Since 1991, Caballero Pools and Spas has been dedicated to creating an outdoor living space that will provide endless hours of fun and entertainment for your entire family. They specialize in offering excellent service and delivering top quality craftsmanship at a reasonable price. They will transform your yard into something unique and distinctive, a customized masterpiece that reflects your individual preferences. Their experience will ensure that your new backyard is something you will be proud of for years to come. Whether it's a minor project or a large master plan, Caballero Pools and Spas will help you get there. Check them out at cabpools.com or reach them at mark at cabpools.com or call 714-309-2890. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earth Pack. Customized, eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, EarthPack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. EarthPack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. ColbyPlus.com is a new brand from a very experienced crew in the wetsuit and surf industry. An independently owned and family run business. All of their products are made with the best in the world materials and they only sell direct. So you're getting a top of the line product for much less. Their wetsuit line, Colby Plus Yamamoto uses Yamamoto number 39 and number 40 neoprene propriety jersey and what we believe is the best and most functional design and construction available. Their line of waterproof bags Colby Plus T-Zip feature completely water and airtight German-made T-Zip zippers. They have a tight line of traction and leashes and will have board shorts on the way in the spring featuring Swiss engineered shoulder fabric. They are currently shipping orders to the US, Canada and Australia. For you Aussies and Canadians, unfortunately, the shipping isn't free. ColbyPlus.com, Finless Skateboard Company. To honor our predecessors of surf shapers, we wanted to make sure that our skateboards were completely handmade, made of solid wood, and that the designs, the line work, and aesthetics of our boards are unique to each deck we create. No heat transfers, no stickers, except for our logo. The whole board is made of carefully assembled different species of wood with cores of hard maple and top and bottom sheets carefully assembled with various types of wood species to give our board 
Gardens, the look of a classic 1950s surfboard. Handcrafted is human, handcrafted is thoughtful, handcrafted is quality, handcrafted is community. Finless Skateboard Company. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Our guest this week is a surfer, actor, and entrepreneur. The surfer actor has been making the show business since he's a young grom. From Entourage back in 2005 to Road to Red in 2020, he's had a great career, but he's always made family priority number one, which says a lot because aside from acting, it's his family and their wine business that keeps their passion real. We're excited to hear about his life, his journey, and hopefully taste some of this high-quality boutique wine from Four Brothers Wine Company. We welcome Chris Duke Blasman. Yeah, boys. Oh, thank yes, you so much buddy. for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked because uh, it's not every day that I get to talk about surfing, first of all acting and kind of my business, which is Four Brothers Wine Company. It's always like, all right, it's wine focused today. Let's talk about wine or, you know, hanging out with your friends. You can chat about surfing, but uh, to be able to kind of like cover different aspects of my life, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So have you been on a podcast before? I've done, it's funny. I've done wine podcasts before and um, I did a friend's podcast back in the day during like COVID yeah. that was trying to start out, but it was debauchery. It was just, it, it didn't make it through kind of COVID. <laughs> one of those, yeah, one we of those. We had some debaucherous ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of those podcasts that didn't make it through COVID. You know? Yeah, but you know, obviously you got a lot, you know, a lot of, you know, surfing is our number yeah. one, like, you know, show, thing about the show, but yeah. you know, we love people that have businesses. We love people. We've had a bunch of actors on. I wouldn't say a bunch, but we've had yeah. a few actors mm-hmm. on. And, and you know, I, like our, you know, worlds, they're small and they cross over. And yeah. I mean, you, you, we wouldn't say you check boxes, but you're very interesting. And yeah. like, you know, we love to promote, you know. Entrepreneurs. And, yeah. And then, right. you know, family business, small businesses and, and kind of promote, you know, that side. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of promoting. Yeah. Where are we friends? at? And then, Dude. So, another brilliant idea that I came up with, me, was, hey, you know, because if you've listened to our podcast, it's only your house that's really, it's, yeah, my house and his house, we have kids, we have pets, and it's always kind of a a cluster, but it's it's our charm. But anyways, (laughs) uh, the cutest couple in the surfboard industry jeff and amber doc lausch uh we are at surf prescriptions um doc is a amazing shaper who started shaping he shaped his first surfboard in 1969 and then he created a label what he's shaping when he's two he created a label called freedom and then in 1980 and he actually had a shop down in on Main Street uh, called Mad Labs Mad Lab. back in the 80s. But I hung out there. Doc is an amazing pillar in our industry, yeah. in our community. Uh, JLAR actually rode for Doc for a number of years uh, when he was a pro. Um, and Doc was on the podcast like 
in, in the beginning. Yeah. So big shout out and thank you to uh, Surf Prescriptions. Yes. Um, if you want to get a custom board, go to surfprescriptions.com. Their address here is 8544 Hamilton Avenue, Huntington Beach, California, 92646, which is right around the block from my house, yeah. which makes it super convenient. Just follow them on Instagram. And yeah. You know, it's yeah. easy. You'll get all the info there. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Thank All right, you. should we go straight into the wine first a little bit? Uh, we going back to it. Let's give it. let's give that let's give that bottle a second because uh, that's my going to be my newest release. And when you go to release a new product, you always kind of uh, you want the wine to just be right. You want it to taste right, and it goes through this thing called bottle shock. And uh, I'm like at the borderline where I tasted this maybe a month ago and it was still kind of there, but I think it might be good now. So let's just give it a second to breathe okay. and then we'll, then well, we'll then, dive into that. Well, then let's just dive into the origin of your surf yeah. passion. And yeah, where did you, you, you grow up? So uh, I grew up in, well, <clears throat> let me go to where I, so I was born in Canoga Park, which is Deep Valley. And um, when I was about, uh, I think maybe seven or eight years old, my parents moved to Agora Hills. So that was kind of like the new frontier for um, a lot of families living in the valley because uh, my parents used to tell me stories about how they like used to hear gunshots at night. You know, it was, it was during that uh, mid-80s where, you know, gangs were very prevalent and crime was very prevalent. So they just wanted to get out. So they moved us to Agora Hills, which was epic because um we were a little bit closer to the beach but still what you would consider like a valley kid yeah um but the agura hills was the new like uh suburbs it was the new suburbs it was but it was like when we moved there it was more rural there was like more mountains and stuff you know it was like the the dream childhood like bmx bikes everywhere you can go in the hills and build jumps it was like et the movie you know like just you You'd meet up on a corner with like five other kids, and then you'd go ride your bike to another neighborhood and meet yeah. up with five more. We, we had family and cousins in, in Thousand Oaks. Yeah. It was similar, like just big lots. Like everybody had horses. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it was kind of ranch style. Like yeah. Very I, I kind of imagine like there's like different booms in, in like real estate and development. Yeah. And like Riverside was it's, back in the day, was right? And Chino Hills, all those. Lake Elsinore, all those places, nothing. nothing, but it blew up. Yeah. And it was probably the same time as, as uh, Agoura Hills and Yeah, like Agoura Thousand Hills, Oaks Thousand Oaks, Westlake, that whole area kind of, it, that, that's when it was like being developed and booming. Yeah. But um, where is Canoga Park in relation to? Oh, I was off like, I think we got off at DeSoto right there. And then you kind of go a little bit deeper like DeSoto, Winneka, that whole area. Towards the 118, like inland. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but it was, I mean, I remember my old house and it was like, it was just, yeah, it was the valley. It was just yeah. home after home, dead flat, you yes. know. And uh, I remember there was a mix between, there was like a really prevalent like Hispanic community where we lived, but then also these like really old people too. It was so weird to like, one neighbor on one side was this like big Hispanic family who had like eight kids. And then the other side was this like old couple in their eighties. And I remember being like a five-year-old kid, like moseying over in the both houses and them both hanging out with me and just like both cool, but so different. So yeah. opposite ends of the spectrum. Was this Canoga Park? Or was this, this, this was Canoga Park. Okay. Yeah. But then when I moved to Agora Hills, which was great was, so uh, this will go into how I got into surfing was 
I had my dad's brother, his older brother, Ross Blassman, was a surfer and a surfboard shaper. And uh, Ross Blassman. Yeah, so um, he didn't start shaping until later in life, but um, so anyone out there who has a Ross Blassman surfboard, by the way, send me a picture, a DM, or something. he's shaped over like a couple hundred boards. And uh, um, or anyone who has boards, like my brothers and I, we've been trying to like locate and find, locate them. And, find them and yeah. yeah, make me an offer, dude, because I, I would love to, you know, get his yeah, board where, of his part of your heritage and history as I could. So he's a passed away, or no, he was at that point, it was either he's living around like Camarillo, Thousand Oaks area, but we were closer to him. And uh, and then my mom's brother lived uh, at Silver Strand on the beach, nice. So, um so us, four brothers, obviously. So I have three younger brothers. I'm the oldest of four boys. Um, so when we finally moved to Agora Hills, you know, let's just say I was seven. My brother below me was six or five. The, the first three were like Irish triplets. Close. We're all like 18 yeah. months apart. You know, and then so we were all within like this three year span, like all three of us in diapers at the same time, all three of us in high school. Um, then we moved there and my parents had my younger brother, but my uncle at Silver Strand would take us for like the weekend to give my parents a break. Yeah. And that's when he would, if the waves were small, uh, would just like push us in the waves. We'd bring like boogie boards down to the beach and stuff, or he'd push us in the waves on his surfboard. So we kind of got a taste of it there. So he was a surfer? He was a surfer. Okay. So he grew up in Hawaii with my mom. No way. So I'm kind, of all, over, I'm kind of all over the place right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> your, your mom's from Hawaii originally. So my mom is originally from Hawaii. And my mom has a real interesting story. So she was born on Oahu in Waimea, um, but she was adopted. So she was um, born on Oahu in Waimea, and during that time, you were not allowed to adopt from the same island because it was just too, too small, close. Yeah. too close, you know? Yeah, they would just know like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, Auntie That's Teresa's daughter just gave up a little baby for this and that, and you're like, is this her baby? Like, yeah. I just adopted, you know? So, um, what a trip, right? Yeah, it's such a trip. So, so my grandparents who adopted my mom, uh, they were living on the big island as missionaries. My grandfather was an Episcopal minister and they moved to the big island of Hawaii to open a church. So they were essentially missionaries back in whatever though, maybe 50s. 50s. Yeah, in the 50s. So, so they moved to the big island, they opened a church and they wanted to adopt so they flew to Oahu and got my mom, adopted my mom, brought her back to the big island. And what ethnicity um, is your mom? So my mom is, she's like Hapahali. She's like, uh, she's got a little bit of Japanese. She's got some Hawaiian blood. And then she has um, like some sort of Caucasian blood in her. But what's interesting is um, the people who put my mom up for adoption did that thing where they said, we don't want our child to know anything about us. They can't find us, did all that stuff. So it took my mom up until she was an adult to finally find her real mother. She had to hire a private investigator. She found her real mother and her real mother wanted nothing to do with her. It was like crushing, right? Like imagine you finally find your real mom. Yeah. You reach out to her, you write her this like amazing letter, you send her and photos and they're like, please leave me alone. And so, um, you what think people are like, oh, they're going to want something from me at yeah. first or, you know, it's no, because we out. like made it really clear. Like here are my kids, my husband, like, you know, we, we do well for each other. Yeah. I don't want anything, but just, just to know you acknowledge, just to you. know you and to know more about myself. Yeah. Like, is there any health issues I need to be aware of? Just 
yeah. all those things she covered and the private investigator presented her with that and she was like no like i don't want anything to do with you which obviously means the baby was probably out of like who knows, out of wedlock what, or yeah, whatever, yeah or and i think she was really young too at the time yeah. so maybe with her new family yeah. she didn't want her to know yeah i mean we can't speculate on what that person that's got to be one of the hardest to sit i mean it went through yeah yeah it's yeah. so crazy like right? a lot, yeah. sometimes a lot of pressure from like if you're really young, like yeah. the parents, like, hey, you know, you're too young to raise this, you know, like, they're, you know, who knows the dynamics? Who, who knows? Did so, your grandparents have other kids or they adopted because they So they adopted help? another boy, which is my uncle who lived in Silverstrand. But, uh, so, oh, I'll, I'll bounce around, but there. my mom ended up finding, she had two sisters, two half sisters, and she ended up finding her sisters. And one of them basically said, like, go fuck yourself. You're a liar. Like, we don't believe you. And the other one said, wait a second, like, let's just meet this person. Yeah. And that... Were those sister, two close? No, so what's funny is the, two, the sisters two sisters were, like, fighting at the time. So they weren't even talking. So she got two different answers from two different sisters. So the one sister said, yeah, let's meet. Yeah, and she not. met my mom. And, uh, like, immediately you look at them, you're like, holy shit, you're sisters. sisters. You guys, they look so much alike. Now, do, so, does, your sis, does your mom look white or ethnic or she looks ethnic okay yeah she looks ethnic. I so i can't see that right now you have and to meet my I, brother if, if you saw me and all my brothers lined up there's like two lighter brothers which is me and my brother casey and then there's two darker brothers which is my brother kyle and kurt so and it's same kyle parents and, same parents yeah <laughs> it's pretty funny so um so what we found out there you go i'm just showing you guys is what a trip yeah. We'll, we'll post. Yeah. We'll post the shot because we're yeah, yeah the exactly. That, but yeah. So uh, yeah, so you can see the dark haired dark skinned brothers <laughs> with the Japanese eyes. Well, it's really like yeah, yeah, you're the oldest. I'm the oldest. Okay. Yeah. So what's funny is um, during this time, her sister was living in uh, Hilo on the Big Island. Wow. My mom's like, holy shit! Like wow. I live on the Big Island. So um, they ended up meeting, and now we have this whole extended family. Um, they yeah, actually they, are they back, share. they're back in Oahu, but like, uh, through like, so now I've got family on Oahu. My parents live on the big Island. Did they share the same mom? Same mom. Okay. Same mom, different dad. And, um, but and now we, you can do the 23 and me and really kind of like hone in on it. Yeah, pinpoint. Hone in, not just, I mean, obviously, you know, confirming the blood relation, but like what ethnicity and percentages yeah. you are, you yeah. know, like, right. That, that's yeah. what's cool too. We did that yeah. for like holiday one time for all the family. We're like, hey, instead of gifts, let's just do this because it'd be interesting. Yeah. It was rad. Yeah. yeah. What, what were you surprised that, that you were part? Not really anything on my side. Like I kind of knew it was like mostly German and a little Swedish in origin. Yeah. I, oh, I was a little English. I didn't think I had any English. Were you surprised that you were Neanderthal? <laughs> <laughs> but my wife's like blonde, blue, white, howly, and she has a, like, like a little over one percent Senegalian, like oh, crazy. like she's got black, some black African, African so, like somewhere dark. in there, and it's like, well, where'd that come from? And then she tries to find like, you know, what great grandparent yeah. like. I don't want to. Yeah, don't think about that because there's something <laughs> something happened yeah. long. But time it was ago. A, yeah, she's a his, history buff, but it was interesting, and I wonder yeah. if your your family did that. You know. Yeah, we. Uh, I think my, some of my brothers have done it, and it's come up, uh, yeah, all across the board. Japanese, Korean, Polish, German, Russian. My dad, my dad's essentially like a Russian Jewish person, so he's like a Russian Jew. But uh, his dad died when he was like two years old, 
Um, he got sick from the war from World War II. So my dad essentially, my grandmother remarried. So um, he adopted that last name when he was remarried. So Blasman really isn't even your, your my bloodline. dad's real last name. Yeah. yeah. What's, it's, what's it's, your dad's real last name? His last name was Flax. Flax. So that, that's what he was born was, uh, his name's Wayne. So he was Wayne Flax and his older brother Ross was Ross Flax. And I think his older brother was four. My dad was two. Their dad, so sad, but he dropped dead in their kitchen floor, like eating breakfast one day because uh, he fought on the Pacific side of the war and got some crazy like infection from World being War in the II? tropics. Yeah, from World War II, from being in the tropics. And it attacked his heart. But back in that day, you don't know. You're just living. Yeah. yeah. And then just boom, just fucking dropped dead on their kitchen floor with the two kids right there. Just Not, not to yeah. be morbid and think about what war was like. If you came home and you, you had your limbs and you didn't have holes in your body, you're like, okay, I made what it. a miracle. Right. Yeah, I made it through war. Yeah, I'm home. Yeah. 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 And then think about like, yeah, I, yeah. him dying unexpectedly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So heavy. crazy. It's so heavy. So yeah, so she remarried and uh, that, that's where Blastman comes from. So she remarried Jack, Jack Blastman, who was like my grandfather he passed away now all my grandparents passed away but he was the sweetest man he was like the coolest dude yeah. so and that's, that's the, the, the how interesting is Hawaii, your like they, or they moved to Hawaii in the 50s no, no. Complete, two different sides okay. uh, yeah I don't, know if anyone, so... I don't know if anyone can follow us I'm all over the place no it's awesome but uh, it's funny you asked how um, like surfing how surfing started for yeah. me and now we're all over the place yeah. so yeah, it's good. that's how the show so, works so, right? totally but at least it's a little bit of history of where these kids who became adults and then I you know I'm another generation but um, so my mom's brother who was adopted found surfing in Hawaii because that's they actually went back to California this is actually a funny 23 me story he so my mom's little brother so they adopted my mom in Hawaii and uh, then they moved back to, uh, where was it? Like 29 Palms, like the desert. Oh, wow. To try and open another church there. And they were like, well, we need another kid. We can't just have our daughter. Let's adopt a boy. And they went to the adoption agency and they were like, yeah, we, you know, she's Hawaiian. We come from Hawaii. We want a boy that looks like he's from Hawaii or ethnic because um, we want them to grow up thinking they look like brother and sister. Yeah. It, you know, we don't want them to look different. So they were like, yeah, sure. We got this boy here. They adopt him. And then later on in life, he does 23andMe, and I think he's like 99% Mexican, <laughs> is what he is. But they're like, oh, he's tan, sure, she's tan, yeah, let's Wait, just do it. No, like whatever you want him to be. Like 29 columns, columns. Okay. yeah. Yeah, whatever so, you want him to be. We'll, yeah, that's yeah they're like, yeah, he, he's from, he looks like he's from Hawaii, here you go. Um, dark hair, dark skin, that's him. So, um, and then they moved back to Hawaii, but that's where my uncle fell in love with surfing. And in his mind, he kind of believed he was like Hawaiian because my mom was Hawaiian. They lived in Hawaii and he's, you know, it's, the, so it's the seventies. He's surfing in Hawaii and he looks like Jerry Lopez. He's got like his long hair and his little mustache. And stuff. So like, uh, um, so he thinks he's Hawaiian and then turns on later in life. He does 23 and me and they're like, yeah, you're pretty much just hundred <laughs> like, yeah. percent Mexican. Yeah. There's a lot of Mexicans yeah. in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There are so, Filipinos, Mexicans. Yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. So he gets the surf bug in yeah. Hawaii that, that he, so he gets the bug in Hawaii. He's not the one that's shaping though, right? He's not. That's my dad's brother. So what's cool is... Surfing's in your... Surfing's totally like, you know, in my family. So my uncle Pete, who's living in Hawaii, he's surfing in Hawaii in the 70s. 
My dad's brother, uh, Ross, is in California um, surfing, you know, around L.A. And then he goes, I think he goes to college in San Diego, surfs in San Diego. Um, my mom and dad get together right out of high school. They get married. And my grandparents actually moved back to Hawaii to try and steer my mom away from my dad. So my uncle at that time was like a teenager and they're like, pack up your shit. We're going back to Hawaii. And he's like, oh my God. So they've been going back and forth from Hawaii and in California for a long time. So my mom stayed. Um, anyways, they have us, us boys. So now we're living in Agora Hills and um, my uncle Pete, who was living in Hawaii, surfing in Hawaii, had moved back to California was just working as a painter and uh, lived at Silver Strand Beach. And he would take us boys, take us surfing at Silver Strand. So we got comfortable uh, in the ocean with him. One day my uncle Ross, who's my dad's brother, shows up with this, I still have the board. Um, no way. It's either at my parents' house somewhere, but uh, it just, I don't even know who shaped it. Like there were no logos on it, nothing, but it was like the sweetest board. It was a single fin with a glass on fin. The board was all baby blue with these navy blue rails. And the, the airbrush on the rails was like thick. It went in like, you know, three, three inches on each side of the board. And the board was about 5'8 or 5'10. So he shows up one day and goes, hey, this is your surfboard. I'm going to take you surfing. And I must have been, you know, earlier than 10. Yeah. Nine years old or something like that. So he had an old VW bus. Him and I hop in his bus. He's got my board and we go down to Little Doom, which is like a private yeah. beach yeah. at that time. Perfect so, learning, you know, perfect, per perfect learning spot, right? So we go down and to me, I remember showing up and being like, oh shit, the waves are big. Like, you know, as a nine year old, you look and you're like, oh my God. And it was, it must've been summer cause it was real gloomy, like June gloom. So I like show up, we walk down the trail, walk down this whole thing. I've got my single fin board I'm carrying. Now, are you already surfing? Not, Not really, like, you know, like maybe Standing pushed into whitewash and yeah. stuff, yeah. But you already um, had, had tried it, you're already standing up on some Yeah, stuff. and I think he could tell, like, I've got to take this guy surfing. Yeah. Like, he, he loves this. Like, he's, I can tell when we go to the beach, yeah. he's, he wants to surf. Yeah. So that's my big day surfing with my uncle. So we go down there, and uh, he gets me on the board. He's just swimming. I'm laying on the board, and he's, like, pushing me out, pushing me out, pushing me out. And I remember sitting out there, and I'm like sitting on the board, shivering, it's like June gloom, I have no wetsuit, I'm just in my board shorts, and this wave comes, and he's like, all right, you ready? Here you go, and I'm like, yeah, and he just pushes me, and of course, just straight pearl, fucking ass over tea kettle, like flipped underwater, I remember coming up, like, oh my god, what the fuck happened? Look, waves are crashing on me, it's like, you know in movies when you like, they do that camera view of a wave like coming down and crashing, yeah. that was like my vision, like, ah! I'm getting something tossed under. Forget. Yeah, something yeah. you never forget. And, uh, oh, and, oh, no. And, and listen, yeah, and the best part was the board had no leash, right? So no leash because it's this old single fin. So and reef underneath you and you're all like, Yeah, I was like, ah. So we like swim in, grab the board. He's like, come on, you got to come out. You got to catch another wave. And I was like, fuck that. that. Yeah, like, so he goes, one more. So I remember we paddled back out. He probably didn't take me out as far that time because then the second time a wave broke on the outside and this big ball of whitewash came. And he was like, here you go, push me on my stomach. And you know when you kind of get like gobbled up by the whitewash, but then it like shoots you out. Yeah. So it kind of shot me out. And I remember riding on my stomach, kind of bouncing on that single fin and like looking towards shore and I'm like, oh shit, like it's coming up soon. So I stand up on the whitewash and I basically ride the board like straight onto the sand. 
and get off and grab the board. And he came back and he's like, yeah, let's go. And I was like, no, I'm done. I stood up. I surfed. Like, that's it. it. Yes, that's it. it. I did it. And so essentially the, the rest of the day I sat on the beach just fucking shivering like next to my board while he surfed for like two hours or so. But yeah. that was my very first surfing experience. And then um, it, and then it kind of grew. Worse. It could have went worse. Yeah. And at um, least you got back on the horse and rode one in. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny, like kids, like you could take kids surfing and you can tell the ones like, I think, you know, I mean, now it's so easy to surf. Like you've got soft tops, you've got all the like spots that are designated for beginners. Yeah. And yeah, wetsuits are so accessible where, you know, back in the day it was like, hey, you got this heavy ass fucking fiberglass board. The board's going to be a piece of shit because no one's going to let you surf a new board. And you got to carry your own shit and no wetsuit and freeze and figure it out. Whereas um, back then, I think if you could like make it through that, like if you love surfing enough to be cold and uncomfortable, yeah, that like you were hooked. You know, your conversation probably going back to your your brothers or your buddies. You're like, dude, I fucking killed. Like, oh yeah, you know, like yeah, you you come back because you're like, I'm a fucking surfer. Like, yeah, that's you're it. Gonna, you're gonna celebrate that. Yeah, you to like, yeah like, right. You guys should have seen it. I got so work because you know you yeah. want to. You were your brothers there up. too, or no? No, it was just me. So yeah. it was just me because my brothers were younger. And uh, um, thank you, dude. And um, and so yeah, you get this all of a sudden. Like you've got this superpower. Yeah. Like, you go to school the next day, and you're like, you got this glow. You got like, dude, I'm you know like right. celebrating that. Dude, I went and caught this wave, got worked, and I beached it. Yeah. You know, just. In, you know, in your eyes, in that moment, you're like, dude, that was heavy, but How, that's kind but of yeah, cool. But How yeah, jealous were your brothers, though? You know, they were so young that it wasn't like a jealousy <laughs> thing, but that really set the precedent for me going back to my parents and being like, let's go to the beach. I want to go surfing. Because we didn't live on the beach, and there wasn't, you know, the beach was like a summertime thing for us. Yeah. It's like in the beach, you'll camp out all day and hang out. In the yeah, weekends and summer, and especially, you know, if you're Agura not Agura is what? 15, 20 minutes from... No. It's a little more. Longer. I would say like just yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah. It's probably you a go good through 30 the hills minutes. And the mountain yeah, and yeah. the drive is this... Whichever way you look at it, it's a windy canyon there. So you're not even like looking at the beach like, oh, it looks nice today. Let's go. You're kind of yeah. like, you take the gamble. Yeah. You go up and over the mountains and then you go down into this fog and your parents are like, Oh fuck! Okay, we're not gonna stay long. You know, yeah, like yeah. we came down to for the heat. So yeah, we just left eighty-five degree weather. Now we're at the beach and it's foggy and sixty. Like yeah. yeah. So so that's where it started was that day. But then um, yeah, as our parents started to do beach days, we would you know take all of our brothers down there and we would surf. And I had that single fin now. So Was Silver Train your guys go to like? On weekends or are you no going, like, like that was a special zoom. thing that was like oh we're staying with our uncle pete for the weekend yeah. like we're on the beach for you know three days straight that was like i spent but silver strains are fucking like it's Killed. not friendly dude yeah. it's like for a little kid it's heavy it's short pound right? yeah yeah i mean it can or, be everything yeah you know yeah. it can be but it's powerful it can get powerful yeah yeah so, uh, yeah, it's kind of an everything beach. So, like, what was your guys' like, go to through the canyons? Like, just, Zuma, like, Zuma. just straight to Zuma, and that's just what you got. Which also sucks. Which the biggest, it's, <laughs> the, it's the longest closeout in the world, is what we Jeez. always say. Like, like when, when we would go check Zuma, you would sit there for like 10 minutes watching closeout after closeout, and you'd see one corner, and you'd be like, oh, actually, it looks kind of fun. Let's yeah, go. There yeah. it is. And you're like, oh my God. And, there's certain days where people post and you're like, whoa, that's Zuma? Yeah. 
Photos it's like can the be perfect deceiving. tide, the perfect swell, it's the perfect us. everything. No, 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 no. It's the one day, one wave out yeah. of the day that looks epic. There's yeah. fucking fifty closeouts before that one wave comes yeah. in out of nowhere. Yeah. And if it's going off there, it's going off everywhere. Yeah. It's yeah. not like that place just lights up. It's it's got to be that combo swell where yeah. you know yeah. if it's somewhat peaky there, then you know everywhere's got like. Yeah, and the only time Zoom is peaky is if you get weird sand or crossed up swells. Yeah. But then when you get crossed up swells, every beach break is fucking perfect, yeah. you know? So, it's so, so did you get like your parents to like pony up on a board? Or well, you- so here's what happened was um, I had that single fin. We had beach stuff, boogie boards and like skim boards and all that stuff, but yeah. not really surfboards. Um, and kind of two things happen as I started to get older. There was a surf shop, Ig Performance Board Shop, hey, which you probably know. Spot. Yeah. Hey. So Dan Egan, yeah. uh, who shaped boards and ran the shop. So there was that surf shop, which became kind of like the hangout in Agora Hills because it was in Agora Hills. And then I got so lucky that right next door to my parents' house, this family moves in. And I remember being a little kid and it's like, oh, the neighbors move. These new people are moving in. And I see this guy just unloading tons and tons of surfboards. And I'm like, what the fuck? This guy's a surfer, you know? So we like immediately run over there with us like four boys and introduce ourselves. And he ends up being a surfboard shaper, but also a collector. So he was moving in like old fucking single fins from Lopez. He had like old Lance Carson boards. He had like old like Hobie Alter boards and Yaters and all this stuff in like the most perfect condition. Wow. Who is that? this? So his name was Pat Nataro, and uh, he's passed away now what? too. Why does that sound familiar? He's got two sons, uh, Pat Nataro Jr. Pat actually was one of the first founders of um, A Walk on Water. He started that. Like, uh, Oh shit. Yeah, him and Steve Lipman started that. And uh, the, Are they the same age? Steve they're, yeah, you? they're like I think around the same okay. age, Pat and Steve. And... Uh, um, the younger son, John, runs a huge, like, uh, advertising, like, kind of, I don't know exactly, like, creative agency in New York. And he works as, like, a director and a crea- creative, like, really successful. Both of them are really successful. Pat Nataro. Pat Nataro and Jonathan Nataro. Both really successful dudes. Um, but they move in, and uh, Pat's got all these boards. So what happened was Pat and John were older than me and my brothers. So they were, I think maybe in high school when they first moved in, but they were like driving already. So they kind of had their own lives. Full surfers, both of them full surfers. No, but he, he loved that we were young and he could take us surfing. So every Sunday morning he would come over and knock on our door and he would take me and my younger brother Kyle surfing every Sunday morning. It was like- Jackpot. Yeah, it was like, like, oh my god! Where did this guy? Why did this guy finally move into our neighborhood? Like, it was it was the greatest thing to ever happen to us. As like wanting surfers. to surf, yeah, trying to beg your parents to take you surfing, and then this fucking surfboard shaper moves in right next door to you and goes, "Hey, my kids what are was old." This label? Do you remember? Sea Flight. Sea Flight surfboards. Yeah. Okay. So later on, he shaped boards for me and my brothers and stuff. But yeah. uh, he. Um, so that was, he, he really taught my brother, Kyle and I, myself about like, Hey, I go surf every Sunday because this is like my church. This is my church, mm-hmm. you know? And he said, I don't look, you know, back then there wasn't much surf report, but like, he's like, I don't look at the waves. I don't look at the weather. I just know every Sunday morning, I just pack up my car and I go surf. Is this so the dad? Yeah. This, this is the dad. Paul. This is the dad. Okay. 
So, um, yeah, old school, yeah. yeah, that's it. You just every that's Sunday morning, pack up and, and he shaped, no, and he go. shaped, yeah, and he shaped boards. And that was like his hobby was to shape boards in and his garage and his backyard, yeah, just right in his garage. So he built out, he first moved in, moved in all his like collector boards. But then as we lived there, he started building out half his garage into a shaping room. Yeah. So once that was built and we could go over there and watch him shape boards and he smoked cigars. So he'd always be like shaping and ashing cigars like onto his boards and like brushing them off and then continue shaping. And um, I remember when he shaped my brother's board, we were like, hey, leave some of your cigar ash. Because it makes cool little. Yeah. Like just, just keep that little so we could say like, what's that fucking gray tint right there? Like, oh, that's his cigar. So... Um, they have some glass over it. <laughs> I fucking love it. That's yeah, so so it was really cool. So Sea Flight were his boards, and um, then he started shaping boards for my brothers and me. And and every Sunday we knew he would always knock on our door, but he would take you know he would take us surfing. That was our thing, that's and that's awesome. That's where we really kind of like became surfers. Yeah, it wasn't like we surfed; we became surfers, and we could ask him about like. What was Malibu like in the 60s, you know, and what was it like, you know, surfing here, or surfing there or what, you know, yeah. and he was part of the original group of Malibu surfers that used to like stash their boards in the bushes. Like they would drive up from L.A. and I think there was still like a dirt road that went along Malibu. And he was like, we would just stash our boards because they were so heavy back then. Yeah. Like, why the fuck lug these things back and forth to L.A.? Let's just stash them here. No one else is surfing. You I know? Tell nobody was there. Just didn't. Yeah. It matter. It's kind of mind blowing yeah. how developed the world has become, yeah. and how many people like gravitate towards. I mean, everyone wants to live on the beach on yeah. the coast, but it was de- but, like back then it was like desolate. Yeah, like to think back of what that looked like back yeah. in the day and go, oh yeah, you can drive pretty much to first point. Yeah, you know, and throw your boards in the bushes. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's it's crazy. It's so developed now. I want to go back to Ig. Okay. Yeah. And, and tell us like, so it, you were there when they first. Opened. So so uh, we were there living in Agora when they first opened, and even when Dan opened it, he was a young guy, like early twenties, I think. Yeah. You know, and then uh, so two guys that have been there from the beginning. Dan obviously was there from the beginning. And uh, you guys probably know him, Seamus, Seamus Santoro. Yeah. yeah. So Seamus was like his manager. I, he's, he, I think he had to be there from the beginning. But um, Seamus was the fucking coolest. Like Dan was very like surfboard shaper, like waterlogged surfer dude, yeah. stoner. Where Seamus, not that Seamus is not a stoner, but he like <laughs> recognized. Yeah, and he also recognized like, hey, the, all these kids that live in Agora, that come like hanging around the shop, like this is our business, these are our people, you can't be a dick. Like yeah. you can't, you can't fucking be too cool for these kids, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, too I, cool. <laughs> I worked with Seamus at uh, Podium. DVS, yeah. Maddox and Lakai. He was our sales rep. And I, dude, I, I tripped that I'm finding out, you know, more How, of his history. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if you know this guy, Chris Fowler. Oh God! Why is the name so familiar? He he has a, he moved to okay. uh, Encinitas way back in the day. Okay. Um, but he has a shop in in Cardiff. Okay. It's called Fowler's. Okay. But he's at Agura Hills. He is. Yeah. Oh, and shit. he he has taught told me stories about uh, Seamus and yeah Ig and Ig and we've talked about Ig 
Yeah, I mean, he, he his first job, or he worked at Val, you know, it was like yeah. kind of like at Val, like Grom Hood, that, that was your first job, because that was the shop, you know, and then, yeah, he, he started shaping, and he's like, I'm going to do my own, own deal, you know. Yeah, yeah. but talk yeah. about yeah. ego and idiosyncrasies, right? That yeah. guy was, because yeah. I'm sure you, you guys used to hang there all the time. All the time, like, there's a Watch point videos. Where, yeah, and he was, yeah. Dan was, sh- like, shaping boards for me. And um, a lot of our friends, you yeah. know, he was shaping boards for us. Or we just want to buy boards off the rack because we're like, dude, this is a Gora shop. Like, we want to kind of represent the shop, yeah. you know? He had so, a pretty fucking big following, right? He had two really good stores, yeah. Yeah. Like, like yeah, it was. Stores. Did he have more than one? He had two. Yeah, he had, he had two. One in Simi Valley, yeah. uh, you know, in the heyday, and then... And then um, Thousand Oaks, you know. Yeah, he kind of moved from that little spot in Agora yeah. to a bigger spot and like kind of a Westlake and opened the Simi Valley yeah. store. But he had two like big stores for a while. Yeah. Um, but the original Agora store was like definitely more like core and punk rock comparatively to like kind of like a Val little like Kennedy's. Was it Kennedy? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like a little. Yeah, like you know, I mean, I like. I think the first time I met Seamus, he had like half his entire head just shaved. Like the whole one side of his half of his head was just shaved and the other half was like long. And that was 80s? like... like the grunge? No, probably early 90s. Early 90s. Yeah. That's that grunge, was, right? I don't know what it was. It was just <laughs> it was just grunge. eccentric and just like... Uh, like Remember that band like that sang... anti, uh, like, you know... That band that sang, it's it? What is mm-hmm. it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just what dang it. it. What is it? Wait, yeah. What the fuck was that? Uh, Remember? Oh, uh, Faith No More. Faith No More. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. The one but that was the dude's hair. That's what is it? Yeah. 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 yeah but, the, but that was the look. And was, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know that was it in the beginning. Like you know we'd fucking dye our hair blue or we would shave half our head. You yeah. know like that was kind of what Ig felt like back then. So that's where like we wanted to hang out because if one of those guys yeah, talks to you, it wasn't just like yeah, it was a young kind of trend, he, you know in the in the pulse. He was right. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah, we love talking about those days because the industry was already established, but then it was going through another like explosion. It was like second generational surfer business owners, yeah. and it was yeah. just kind of like I don't want to do the old guard stuff, and they're like they're young kids with young ideas and different. And yeah, you don't want to be more progressive. Plus, like snowboarding, yes. skateboarding, like yeah. all those things are going are starting to like become part of our culture and, yeah. and explode even more. Yeah, right? I mean skateboarding was already part of it, but the snowboarding because it was huge, huge in snowboarding and skateboarding yeah. too. Like, yeah, yeah he, his a lot of his stores inside when he moved to the bigger locations had quarter pipes and rails and stuff and they would just scoot the racks out and kids would be skating yeah. in the store like the, yeah. the the shoe box you know you sat on the yeah. your shoes was like had rails it was yeah it was yeah. like a full grind box yeah we used to skate we used to fucking just party to be honest like yeah. in that Westlake store when you <laughs> opened it like that that's what we would do is move some of the racks out of the way and we you know as we got older then it was like my brother worked there friends worked there so it was kind of like we were like all of a sudden yeah we were like the 16 17 year old kids that had blue hair that were like you know fucking poking on the little 10 year old boys that live in the in the the punk yeah but that would be it like you know they'd be like hey i'm closing up in like 15 minutes you want to come by and drink some beers and we're like 16 so we're like damn go buy us beers and dan egan would like buy us a bunch of beer and we'd just fucking skate and drink and hang out in the watch shop videos. and watch videos yeah. yeah 
Yeah, yeah those was, were the days. Like they were, they were, they were fun. Like you weren't really, you were punks, but you know, like the the surf shops, skate shops, snowboard shops, they kind of kept you in line too. Yeah, you know, yeah. you could rage there, but almost kind of like kept you safe. You had, you had supervision to an extent. It to an extent. Yeah, to yeah an like extent. if something really bad were to happen, there's one person there who could, has, you know, who knows enough to be like, well, I'm either calling your parents or calling 911. What's you know? Ig doing these days? I think he lives up in, in Humboldt, like doing this on a farm. He's doing weed, okay. yeah, yeah. He's got, I think he's a marijuana distributor, farmer, is yeah. what, what he's got going on. That guy um, has got the funniest like we got him, man. He's, he's a guy, dude. He's he's got one story after the next, man. Yeah. He is just, yeah, like he he would people would talk about him in our industry. Oh yeah, because he would do like crazy like a, to get attention yeah. for the most part, yeah. right? Yeah. But it would be so like outlandish, you know what I mean? Like yeah, he he was like anti establishment right but yeah. he would do it for show and he'd get it for a reaction but you're like wow yeah. that was that guy's fucking but yeah he's as authentic as anybody can come right That's it. yeah he, he was him he, he's authentic he's him and he uh did you ever see the video that he made i think there's a couple yeah i think there's, there's a, a couple seamus yeah. had actually told me about the one video yeah. of, it was all about him yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, like I yeah, started start, all of this. Yeah, yeah, starts starts with an interview with him. Oh, Dan, dude, if you're listening, buddy, you know I love you. But uh, yeah, starts with an interview with him about like yeah, like fuck, dude. Some people can do such good Dan Egan uh, impersonations, and I never nailed his impersonation. But we have friends that are like. You know, uh, yeah, like, I just fucking started the anti-establishment trend single-handedly by myself with the shop. And, and then it would cut to a clip of him, like, surfing. And, like, as kids, you show up and you're like, cool, it's like releasing a new surf, skate, snowboard video. And you're like, all right, here's Dan surfing. Here's now Dan here's Dan talking again. Now here's Dan snowboarding. <laughs> Now here's Dan talking about hey, snowboarding. But genius when you own your own genius. Job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's, it's self self promotion. It, but it was influencer before there was an influencer. Dude, you know, like yeah, that's and, pretty much it. And that was it. And I remember, uh, so like dear friend of mine who's a Ruka skater, Spanky. Yeah. So you know Spanky, oh, I guess. Spanky okay. Long. Uh, yeah, Kevin Long. Kevin Long. Yeah. So I gave Spanky the nickname Spanky when we were kids. Fuck Because we all had nicknames when we were kids, yeah. No. So, so his older brother, Patrick, is him and my younger brother. Are, are you best making this up? No, you I gave Spanky Long. Kevin yeah, I Spanky Long. I gave Spanky his, his nickname. Yeah. You heard yeah. it here first. You heard it here first. Uh, I think Transworld Skateboarder did a thing with him, and they were like, how the fuck did you get your nickname? And he's like, oh, my brother's friend, Chris, uh, just started calling me Spanky because of the movie Little Rascals. But that was kind of it. But, yeah. like, he also was, like, a little rascal as a kid. Like, he was the kid who just never grew up. And so I was just like, dude, you're just like a Spanky. You're Is like, he you're Gore like Hills, movie. too? Yeah, Gore Hills. So, so oh. I, I was uh, – started at Ruka real early, you know? Like, yeah. Brandon just started, and – you know, we, you know, the shops are always trying to promote their athletes and stuff. Oh, this little kid, Spanky, you know, he was like a grom. Like, Laura, don't try to tell us that you found Spanky. For no, Luca. Dan Egan. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> was I going to say that? <laughs> no. So Dan, like he wrote for the shop, like he was right. the shop grom. Yeah. He's like, oh, this guy, you know, um, so I don't make any of those decisions. It goes to our skate team manager guy and it's like, oh yeah, cool. But Dan is like, yeah, I got, you know, Dan's the guy that obviously makes everything happen. Yeah. That right. was him. So I become the rep. And I'm like, just going in there and I have some like Ed Templeton like t-shirts and stuff and I'm throwing them out to the staff like, hey, what's your size or whatever. And I've never met Dan. I never, you know, I've never knew who he was. Like he's in the like shop just like, he's young. Like he's, I'm like a grandma. I'm like, here's a shirt. He's like, <laughs> checks it out. He's like, throws it back. He's like, I'm sponsored by Volcom. And I'm like, oh, oh sweet, yeah. dude, that's cool. Like, no, no worries. So then like, he, you know, shops, I'm talking dude, to the other guys. big egos right and, I'm, and I'm hanging out, like, whatever. And none of the shop gets, like, yeah, that's, that's, he's that's the owner. Egg. That's the owner. They didn't yeah. say anything. So then he comes back and, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm egg. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, fuck yeah. But then I'm, like, super confused because he just told me he's sponsored by Volcom. And then he says he's the owner. And then I'm like, fuck, wait, what? Who like, is this guy? Like, yeah. I'm like. Meanwhile, he Spanky at that time was like three feet tall. He didn't introduce yeah. himself. I was like, hey, I'm egg, I'm the owner, like, you know, stoked, you know, we got root, you know, whatever. Like Lars starts busting out his covers. And, right. and, and he's all he's all no, I'm right. I'm I'm sponsored by Vulcan was like the first literally sentence out of his mouth when I'm trying to give out t-shirts. I was like and now he's the owner and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, dude. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Lars like, dude. I'm in momentum generation, bro. Yeah. yeah. You might be egg from the valley. But I'm Jay Larson and, uh, on the cover yeah, of Surfing Magazine. And there were like those videos you sell. I'm in those videos. Yeah. You, know that, you know that, right? And at yeah. that time, like, his shop was more of a skate snowboard shop than like yeah. a core surf shop. Like it was. Yeah. It they were certain... one of the biggest dealers in skate and snow. Yeah. Like when yeah. you went in there, you. Did Cables ride for Ig? I don't think so. Okay. No, he did for like. Uh, wait, are you talking about Curran or his dad? His Evan? dad, Evan. Evan. I don't know. I almost thought but they were buddies. I know they like. Okay. There used yeah. to be a shot of Evan Caples like getting tubed at Zuma okay. in the shop that I remember. Because there was always like him getting tubed on his backside with like his hand up, like the mm. pipe like thing, like touching the lip. Mm-hmm. And as kids, we're always like, who the fuck is that? And they're like, that's Evan Caples. And we're like, oh, rap. But I don't, like, who knows? Yeah, yeah he's like a rat. Or not, he was a good surfer. I mean, still is. Still is. Still is. But I, yeah. but I remember yeah. seeing Ig on a bunch of different boards. Yeah. On, yeah. I mean, people. He, he, yeah, kids ride. Was it Chance Barber or Nick Barber or something? Maybe. Yeah. It, some it, Valley it, kids think, that ripped and some Malibu kids that ripped that yeah. I remember. But I mean, he was, IG. he was fucking core and the shop was, I mean, obviously yeah. all the kids, you know, like that was the jam to be at, you know, and, but he was just, you so know, your brother, him, he was. Like that was your guys' time. hangout. And that was your, a mango. And yeah. my brother worked there. My brother worked there. My youngest brother worked there. What like a trip. From the day he turned 16, I think. And then my brother actually left and went to Val. And I think, like, Dan called him and was like, what the fuck? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was... It was... That was our hangout. But it also uh, kind of encapsulated, like, what I call, like, the California kid. Yeah. Like, when we grew up... Like the real California kids, like would surf, would snowboard, would skateboard. Yeah. Some would even do like motocross. Kind of like the Nathan Fletcher thing. Like, yeah. like you can be good at everything because if you grew up as that California kid, every sport kind of has its place in its season. 
And there's no reason for you to not be like good at all of them if you want to be. Yeah. And California is like, especially Southern California where we are, is like one of the only places where you could really, really do that. Yeah, you you have access to it, like you said, you know, whether snowboarding seasonal, but it was like, when it snowed, like what we did, like we grew up, it's like, fuck, it's snowing, like what what are we going to go to the mountains? And, you know, it was definitely part of the life. Yeah. It's a trip when uh, we had this guy, Scott Scarborough, who who, uh, is in flight. Okay. Owner of yeah. And he, you know, we always talk about how the older generations, they're, they're so much more fucking manly, you know? Yeah. They rode motorcycles, they fucking sailed. They just right. do They shit. water skied, they fucking yeah. snow skied, they can't, you know. They're they, not scared. Of, they, not, they, they did more yeah. shit, you know, yeah. like well, that, sea diving. That's what it was about, though, back then, yeah. I feel like, was whatever job you had was the vehicle to like live that California lifestyle. Yeah. Whether it was fishing and surfing or surfing and snowboarding. And that was kind of, I mean, before you have families, you feel like that's all you need. Like, I just need enough money to do the things I love. Yeah. You know, you're like, and then (laughs) guys like him and uh, Scott Scarborough and like Dan Egan, they help forge the whole snowboard industry. Yeah. You know, like Two dudes from Southern California that are surfers that shape boards yeah. are are like big contributors to the success of snowboarding and what you say is the California lifestyle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like skateboard, okay. snowboarding, surfing. It's a trip because yeah. throughout our, our like culture and our industry, like surfing, skateboarding, and then later on snowboarding but it, it's a trip because our our um, it goes in waves where surfing is they don't coexist you know right. they like skateboarders don't like surfers surfers don't like skateboarders and then they yeah. all of a sudden oh we're both oh now we're all three you know what i mean yeah. like yeah there's like an evolution of like the yeah. california kid totally well it was a, you know it was look and lifestyle you know yeah now back then it was very segmented you yeah like you know even within the sports you know right. like in skateboarding it's like oh your street that's not as cool because you know it, it went vert but it, it, everything kind of yeah. like got so pigeonholed and then now it's like there's so many like subcultures rip. in the there's, subculture right but you fucking yeah. rip fucking you know it's like appreciated you yeah. know like, I mean for me as a kid like growing up in the valley Agora Hills like surfing was not cool so it was like, I would, I would have to like, you could go to like Ig and places like that and embrace like, yeah, I surf, I surf, I surf. Like, they're like, oh, okay, cool. But like within like going to school and stuff, like there wasn't, for us, there wasn't like surfers. There wasn't like a group like that. Skateboarding was like the punk rock thing. Yeah. So like I grew up wearing like birdhouse shirts, you know, and um, like dressed like a skater. I mean, I did skateboard, but like... Like skate, a skater was my disguise, but surfing was my love. Yeah. But you could never. You had to fit in. You yeah. could never like voice that because then you just get teased or like you fucking surfer. Yeah. You know, like that's fucking. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, yeah, you couldn't. That's '90s, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. '90s. '90s was like it was a trip because skateboarding became the 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 most. Not I don't want to say trendy, but the most popular thing to be yeah. to be a skateboarder was way more popular off the beach than surfing yeah 
Yeah. 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 And, so. and it was like really like mean skateboarding. You know yeah. what I mean? Like street skating was yeah. rough. It was fucking hard. It was small wheels, baggy pants. Yeah. And, and the attitude that came with it. Right. You like know, skateboarders had a fucking attitude. Yeah. I mean, again, what they marketed and what they advertised and what they did was just core anti, you know, like just, yeah. you know, <laughs> fucking youth that, you know, gnarly little kids. Yeah. You know, like it was, yeah. It wasn't this like fluff, like cool, like skateboarding, you know, no. there was no complete like cruiser boards or anything. It was like, like you said, it was just one type of skateboarding took over yeah. and it was like fucking. Which was pretty yeah. fucking cool in itself, you know? Yeah. Like that was that that era, early nineties skateboarding, wow. Like Yeah, and those guys like the really like good guy, even like Ed Templeton stuff when they were younger was it was like those guys were fucking intimidating. Like they were, you know, because we had, you know, we had like Mikey Taylor and Spanky and Paul Rodriguez and those dudes who were like all of a sudden the new like really good street kids. Yeah growing up but like when you would like I mean for example later on in life like if we'd be in Hollywood and I'd like run into Spanky and he's with like Dustin Dolan and Brayden and all those dudes you're like these his drunks yeah you're like these guys are fucking intimidating dude like <laughs> and it's kind of like you gotta like I don't know it's it's not for everybody yeah you know you're kind of like I just want that era was go surfing hang out on the beach I don't need the fucking yeah it, it drink a whole dare, bottle of dare and shit like you know yeah. in, in some respects and yeah I was like dude they're doing what like fuck I guess I'm hanging out the fucking skateboard yeah, yeah. And, and talk about dude subcultures in a subculture skateboarding is so much more diverse than surfing yeah you know like yeah. the different styles of surfing yeah where skateboarding is like there's hash and there's fresh and then there's like jock skateboarding right like surf yeah. the competition right? right mountain dew extreme sports skateboarder right. but it's a trip because you have like you said your Dustin Dolan your Spanky your Leo Romero and then you have Nija and you yeah. have Mikey Taylor right it's a trip like there's so many different uh, flavors in that yeah that, you know it's yeah that roster of people you come up with you're like oh that guy wears baggy pants oh that guy wears tight jeans right right? especially back then like you were either punk rock you either wore super skinny jeans and you were punk rock or you wore baggy jeans but you were like gangster you like wore gold chains yeah you wore basketball jerseys and baggy jeans and and it was all stars that was uh mikey taylor yeah and so like mikey and paul rodriguez were more like baggy dream jeans like driving audis and shit yeah where spanky was like i don't even fucking own a car yeah like i play with my band on the weekend and we fucking drink a bottle of whiskey every night and is that emo skateboarders no it was like more punk i guess you know it was just this it was like we have everything but we want nothing yeah like we live in the shittiest apartments in the shittiest part of LA and five of us live here on purpose <laughs> and we come and go as we please, yeah, you know, yeah. and we go, we to have the money, bar. Yeah. we don't want to show you that. Right. We don't want to live like that. Yeah. They, right. they want to yeah. do art and have, you know, like look like they're dressing out of a thrift shop, you know? Yeah. They want to look like they're struggling artists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them are artists. I think a lot of the artists did go more that like, like if you were a skater and an artist, you would go more that kind of like, I'm like, yeah, emotional punk rock, yeah, Hollywood city 
guy. But even though the money was probably the same oh, for dude. both, yeah, it was like two different worlds. Yeah, you know, two completely different worlds. That's um, a trip because, yeah. uh, like, surfing is a little bit more identifiable, like easier to like. There wasn't that many different looks. No, you knew when you saw a surfer. Yeah, skateboarders. Yeah, if you are didn't like, see some of those guys with, without, you know, without a board, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think, oh, that's a skater. Right. You know, you couldn't yeah. identify them if you're. If you didn't know them or that, you know, yeah. see them skate. Yeah. So, surfing. Yeah, let's go back. You <laughs> or uh, with, like, you had a tight knit group. Your brothers and neighbors. Like, what was the vibe? You know, at school. Now, do all four yeah. brothers surf? All four of us surf. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We're we're all who, we all who was the best or who got to be the I best? I think my youngest brother Kurt became the best out of all of us. At uh, at his height, he was better. I think than all of us at our height it was it was weird we went through phases like my brother kyle he's a bigger dude like 200 plus pounds just super powerful like exactly what you expect a bigger guy to surf like like when you watch him from behind the wave just fucking half the wave comes off in huge spray you know you're like whoa what the fuck like i can't do that yeah where me i was more into like i used to be able to do that yeah (laughs) right used to used to used to is the key word with everything (laughs) Yeah, Jay, Jay still does that, you know. But uh, uh, yeah, where me, I, I know I was more into like uh, the momentum videos and I would like want to try and learn airs and try and do airs, you know, like like all day just go out and be like, I'm going to get my fucking air reverse down. Let's fucking do this. And everyone's like, you fucking idiot, dude. You're just like pumping down the line on every wave. and Ruining the wave. Yeah, ruining every wave trying to do that. Where my brother Kyle was like, you couldn't pay him to do an air. Just like tearing, tearing off the lip. But Kurt was very well-rounded. Like, he could do carves. He could do airs. He was starting to get real comfortable in, like, bigger waves, you know, and getting tubes and stuff, so... Did um, you ever get into competition? Not really. Like, I did, like, every once in a while, like, O'Neill would, like, throw a contest at, like, County Line or something, and because your friends were doing it, you're like, let's do it. And then um, after high school, I moved to... I went to Santa Barbara City College for, like, a year and a half, and there was like the Santa Barbara surfing series. You had to be like a college student to do it. And I did like a couple of those, but it wasn't like um, competition was like thriving for me. It was more just to go surfing was just, that was basically it. Like if I could go surf that day, it was a win. Yeah. So what was your first job? Like what, what, what? So my first job, that's actually, Pretty interesting. So my first job, there was a rep for Reef and Freestyle. His name was Jim Fox. And I worked for him Wait, as a... That was your first oh, ever job? That was my first job as like a teenager. You're talking about my first acting job? No, no, no. Okay. That was my first job job. I worked for a surf rep. And no I would way. after school go and like like help him just like file orders and in high school pack boxes and stuff yeah when I was in high school what, okay. what, what, what brands did he do he did like Reef and Freestyle what was his name and he did Jim Fox was his name it sounds familiar his company was Fox Marketing Group he had a few like reps underneath him and then I was like the kid who kind of worked in his office and uh, I would go like after school and work for a couple hours and that was like my first job it was funny like Getting a job in a surf shop was like kind of almost like scary to me. I was like, I don't think those guys will like accept me. I'm like, I just it's too intimidating to go like. Seamus would have given you a job. He would like looking back now. Yeah. 
all my friends worked there. Like there would have been, if I would have went in, they would have been like, just fucking start working, dude. You know, but, but for me, it was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can like put myself out there like that, you know, it was a weird thing. So like shy, just shy. And also, well, there were two things. One, I also saw how much my friends worked on the weekends that worked in shops. Mm. So I weekend job. Yeah. So I wanted to be, have my weekends to be able to like surf basically and hang out with my friends and go to high school parties and do everything that you do as a teenager on the weekends, you know? So also the idea of like a real job was, I remember there was a, like a batting cage by us. And I remember I worked there for a little bit and it was like, once I had to work like the first Saturday though, I was like, you know, middle of summer, it's fucking 90 something degrees outside and you're dumping buckets of balls into a machine and all the metal's hot. I'm just like, fuck this. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't need money. Sa- to go to sounds beach. cool until you yeah. do it. And then you're like, fuck. yeah. So, um, was it at like a, a like it's a, getting like in the way of dolphin stuff type place or was it just kind like- of? It was just a straight batting cage. We mm-hmm. had it in Agora Hills, like right off the freeway. There's an outdoor batting cage. But it, that, that didn't last very long. That only lasted for like a couple months. And I was like, fuck this, I wanna go surf. That was everything, was like, you don't wanna do anything but surf. Yeah. So any job in itself sucked. That was just the bottom were you, line. Were you getting pressure from parents to have a job or you just wanted money and be independent? No, my parents were like, you have to have a job. Yeah, that's good. So once I found that job with Jim, he kinda like how, got And how it. did you find that job? We were like family friends. He had, a, he had, they had kids the same age as us. We were, his son and me were in the same grade. His son, Clint Fox, we were in the same grade, so we were friends. And so, um, yeah. So then, uh, it just, I don't even know if he needed me. He just hired me. Yeah. You know, like here, file papers and. We'll give you some samples. We'll do yeah, samples. Yeah, whatever. Style. Like here's a here's a freestyle watch. You're cool. Like just to hang out and do stuff around the office and. Fox Marketing Group. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Totally remember Fox Marketing. Yeah. They they probably sold freestyles to all the shops in Southern California. For sure. Yeah. For sure they did. Yeah. So um, so that was like my consistent job like through high school was that, you know. Um, but yeah, really it was just about trying to be able to just surf, you know, because once you get your driver's license, when you live in Agora or, you know, over the hill, like it's you can't ride your bike to the beach no you need a driver's license because you're it's all hills right? yeah back well, and forth. it's just too far dude it's just that that's what it is so yeah. um when you're younger you make friends with kids that can drive if your parents let you ride with them you know yeah and then once you get your license that's it it's like then yeah. you what, can go what kind of skateboard what what was your were you like into skateboarding yeah and yeah. what what board did you have what um like as a kid, I, everything was Powell, like all Powell boards. And then um, through like high school and teenage, it was like Birdhouse was like, that was that that was like the board. Like yeah. I felt like that street board was so tiny. And That's so, when they were popsicle sticks and yeah. small wheels, right? Yeah, exactly. And then um, we used to have a quarter pipe, not a quarter, yeah, like it was like a launch ramp. ramp. Yeah, outside our front yard. And then eventually we built this box because there's always all this construction going on in our house. So then we built like a really fun box. So that's when like, you know, Spanky and other kids who skated would come over because we had a launch ramp or that you could use as a quarter pipe too and a box. So that was like enough to like skate, skate yeah. you know, in between me and all my brothers having friends that all skated and surfed and stuff. It was just a fun place to kind of like 
hang out. My parents' house was just like, yeah, like the hub to be able to hang out. Well, you got four teenager. boys. So yeah. You kind of have to, yeah. you know, you kind of want them all yeah. together. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, there's always someone that you could show up and it's like, oh, he's here. You want to go skate? Yeah, let's skate. Like you don't have to be the same age. So there's Did, always a brother. So everyone skateboarded too in your family? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 I think when you're growing up, I mean, it's such a big part of like your youth. I mean, if we're, if we're living in that Southern California like, yeah. lifestyle, like we all had mini ramps and then there was big ramps at certain places. Yeah. And that's when like the BMX guys would come out and you're like, holy shit. Like, yeah, long trip, you know, there, yeah. you'd yeah. find stuff around, let's go skate to the, the ditch or the, you know, that curb, you know, it was kind of fun. So it was, yeah. So going back to surfing, you guys would go to Zuma, you'd go to Little Doom. We'd go to Little Doom when we could get in, and then um, Malibu a lot, um, and then like north of there, we, when I was in high school, like my brothers and I were, you know, we weren't great surfers, but we were like, we'd surf longer than anybody, so we were kind of like more adaptable to different waves and stuff, but when we had friends, like, I have friends that didn't start surfing in high school because they just wanted to like, hang out with us and they're like, I'll try this surfing thing. And they like still surf today because of that. But That's we would cool. go like, you know, North Azuma, like Leo Creo and County Line. And you know, none of those waves are great. But when you have people that can kind of surf and can't surf and you just, you know, anyone who wanted to go to the beach, we were just like, let's go to the beach, you know? Yeah. So those waves were would, good for Would that. you guys come down to Orange County? Never. Never? Never, no. Not in high school, no. We never we never traveled outside of LA County. It was like... So trippy. Yeah, we just wanted to maximize our surf time. So yeah. it was like straight to the beach and you would just surf till dark and then go home and, you know, and then do your homes up, homework and shit. So We always talk about how intimidating it is when you leave a surf, your own surf spot yeah. where you know the locals and you're yeah. kind of a local and yeah. you go to different spots and it's like... These dudes have, you know, attitudes or they're dicks. They're going to snake yeah. you. Did you ever go through that? Uh, a little bit. What's What's interesting about like those more like L.A. County spots, like Malibu obviously has a huge heritage of locals. But like all those little spots, like Staircase, Heavens, all those little spots, like there were guys that regularly surf there. But you, you knew no one lived there. Everybody's driving over the hill. And... Um, it wasn't like locals, but we categorized guys two ways. Like, you're really good at surfing, so we stay out of your way, or you're just a fucking dick, and we either just don't, we just don't want to deal with you type of thing. Like, you know, like anyone who's picking on kids and can't surf, you're like, who the fuck are you, you yeah. know? But then as you get the guy older, that shows up to that spot every day. Yeah, I'm just here, I surf every day, and you're like, dude, you can't even fucking stand up. Like, yeah. you know, and... The, the guys with the loudest bark have the smallest bite, and they usually suck. They usually suck. They usually yeah. suck. So those were like the locals. We're like, you yeah. either ripped, and we're probably... Those guys, I feel like, I don't even know any of them, but like when you'd see someone who ripped, they were most likely just doing their own thing. Yeah. Stay out of their way. And then the guys who it's would funny talk how that, shit, that yeah. happens, right? Like yeah. the guys that you you're going, oh shit, that dude's a local and he rips and he's cool. Oh, that shit's a dick. He's a local and he sucks. Yeah, you know, like those. Yeah, that's how he it equates. Like yeah. the worst the attitude, the worst the surf. How close can I get my fin to his head on the next paddle? <laughs> 
where yeah. it takes someone to absolutely run them over, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I remember my brother Kyle, because he's big, but when we were kids, we were all little. But then once he kind of like grew into his own, he was like a late bloomer, like small through high school. And then all of a sudden like shot up and he's like 6'3", like 210 pounds, like a big dude. And I remember us out in the water and one day, he just couldn't fucking stand it. He lost it. I think we were surfing like Third Point Malibu or something, the two of us. And we were probably, you know, teenagers, 18 or 19. And he had already had like his growth spurt. And some dude was talking shit to us or whatnot. And the guy caught a wave. And as he's paddling back out, he's paddling at my brother and staring at him. And I remember looking at my brother, Kyle, and he just went <sighs> and spit right in the guy's face. Like hawk the fucking loogie as the guy was paddling by and just spit. And I watched the spit hit him in the face and the guy was fucking floored. He didn't know what to do. And he just looked at my brother, like sized him up and just put his head forward and just kept paddling back out. Never said anything after that. And after that, I remember I was like, oh yeah, we're fucking like adults now. We're like, we're not, even though our mentality is still kids. Yeah, Kyle. Yeah, but it was like, like, they're gonna look at you and be like, oh shit, he's kind of big. And well, he meant it, how yeah. many times or how many times do you wish you could do that, right? Oh, right. There's yeah. so many times in my lifetime I'm like, God, I wish I knew fucking jujitsu or I wish I knew yeah. karate. Because there's dudes that are out there. You wish you were at least 5'8". Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're still you? waiting on his girl's <laughs> Gosh. You guys are so mean. <laughs> <laughs> Toy lost his train of thought over there. He got, yeah. got floored just now. Yeah, right. I didn't even have to touch him. I knocked I know. him out with my fucking words. That was death in the count. He doesn't remember what he was talking about. I know what I'm talking about. So, so he's a liar. Yeah, you just wish you could stand up to bullies like Jaylar. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. even. But, but yeah, you get to that stage where you all of a sudden you realize, you know what? I don't have to fucking be dropped in on by this guy, or yeah. or you know what I mean. Like you get to that point where, not really that you're, when you start surfing better, right? Like when you get to a certain like level of, of your surfing and you're respectful, like you can pretty much make it in any lineup, yeah. right? Yeah, once yeah. you got understand. Yeah, I think, yeah. We always say, if you fucking rip, a lot of barriers come down. Yeah. But, but if you're a dick, it just clean slates everything, ability, whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're local or yeah. you know a, a tourist or a freaking foreigner. Like if you're a dick, you you're fucked. Yeah, you know, like yeah. you're gonna run into issues. If you rip, yeah, that'd still be cool. You know, yeah. I just want to say Jay probably has no idea what you and I are talking about because he's ripped his whole life. <laughs> yeah, so he's been like the kid where they're he like, go any of these trials. Go, you got the yeah. Wait, where we're so like, yeah. where we're like, you know, we have to like earn our way into the lineup. He probably at twelve years old. They were like, go Jay, go yeah. That kid I've only rips. heard one time where he got harassed, and it's just one time <laughs> by one person. Yeah, I don't know, maybe a few times. <laughs> no, he, yeah, like, he's trying to act like he knows what we're talking about, yeah, but he, he has, does, no, he he has just, no clue. Yeah, he just shows up and gets to surf wherever he yeah. wants and get away. He's, he's the asshole we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I, I just told everybody, I'm like, yeah, I, he's always complaining about how many people out there, and I'm like, I don't see anybody. You know, what are you yeah. talking about? Is that crowded? Okay, like, so like, going back to okay. your first job, right? Yeah. That was your first real job working uh, in the office for Fox Marketing. Yes. What is this? Okay, so that is a photo of me and John Travolta. 
And how old and, are you? Uh, I was 11 or 12 there. And uh, so as a kid, I, um, as kind of same time that like surfing was kind of like becoming prevalent in my life, um, I was just tied into like the entertainment industry as if I was like just as passionate about it. And I remember like telling my parents, I want to be an actor. I want to be an actor. I want to be an actor. And them not knowing what the hell that Mint is at is. all or meant, you know, I want to be on and, TV and movie screen. Yeah. They're like, really? So does every kid. But um, I think my parents saw that there was like more to it than that with me. Like where, I would. Where I, did you see it or where did you like, how did well, you like. I would start making like little home movies around the house. Like we had our little camcorder and stuff. So I would like my parents would like leave us with a babysitter and they would come home and I'd be like, look what I made. And I would like write out this film with like, let's say like my brothers and the babysitter and it'd be like a fake horror film or something where like this little stuffed animal looks real and stuff, you know? And uh, they would so be like, like, oh, fuck, we got to do this kind of therapy. But yeah, no, <laughs> we're like, they, were, they were like, yeah, but they were like, oh God. But once I said like, I want to, I want to try it. So it wasn't at blue. They know you had an app, a knack for it, and you were do, already doing this stuff. I was doing it, and you could tell when your kids are a little bit more serious about something, you know, than yeah. something else. And they could tell that I really like had some sort of connection, maybe that they weren't aware of. So my mom had like asked around to a couple friends and was like, "Hey, my son says he like wants to do acting and wants to be an actor. Like, what do we, what do we do about that? You know?" And one of them's like, "Oh, I have a friend who's this like agent." why don't you have your son meet the agent and see what they think? Like, that's really easy, you know? And uh, what's funny is the agent wasn't really an agent, but they like got people jobs as like extras. They were like a booker. Mm. So they would be like, sure, you want to act? How about tomorrow? You know, days of our lives, 9 a.m. You're the fucking dude far background. You know, it's a 12 hour day and whatever they used to pay back then. But like, boom, you're an actor. So that was her. So, um, obviously you meet someone like that and a kid comes to you that's willing they're like yeah you're signed on let's do this like i'm gonna make your son an actor so what happened was she lined me up for a few like ex- like working as an extra like a yeah. few jobs and then one of the jobs that came up was to be an extra on this film starring john travolta gwyneth paltrow heather graham Damn. At that time, Jamie Walters, if you remember him, he was like super big in the 90s, but kind of faded. But he, they were starring in it, and it took place where John Travolta was the music teacher for a boy's home in like the 50s, like a, like a boy's orphanage. And uh, rock and roll was like prohibited back then. So um, John Travolta brings like rock and roll to this like boy's home, teaches them music, and like they become this like rock and roll band. But what they needed was kids to fill in as boys at the boys home so they're like if we cast you it's gonna be this like three week long thing um you've got to travel with the whole crew and you're this like ongoing player so is it had lines no so there was no lines but you were they wanted to keep the film consistent as like when they show a classroom Yeah. yeah you're in the classroom when they show like lunchtime you're there at lunchtime so um so we went in and i got casted as one of the boys as one of the orphans and uh, what happened was through that, um, I was just on set one day, like as an extra, like being one of the boy orphans. And it was like maybe week two, uh, we shot at Universal on the lot. And the I movie's was like, called Shout, it. right? It's called Shout, yeah. Okay. But I was like loving it. I was like, this is, this is like what I want to do, you so, know? So, sorry, two weeks, it was a two week 
It was more like, almost, yeah, it was like two and a half weeks, almost three weeks. But what happened was week two. Was it summertime that you were shooting this or? No, like I got to miss school. I had to bring work and there was like an onset school teacher and stuff. So, what? so for me, it was like the coolest. I'm like, fucking made it. I'm in not at yeah. school. Yeah, I'm not at school. I've got the set teacher. I'm around all these people. Um, and then you see the production, you know, and that was, you know, was, yeah, behind everyone behind the scenes. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then there was one day where um, the producers came up to me and they just said like, hey, we've got like more of a part for you. And uh, like, come in, come to set, you know, and we want to go over some stuff. And I walk into set and it's Heather Graham and Jamie Walters. And they're like, here's the scene we're kind of adding into the film. Jamie Walters is teaching you how to play the piano. And you guys have this interaction. And him and Heather Graham have this underlining love story. She's going to come in and see the soft side of this character. Like, oh, he works with kids. He's so sweet. He's actually not this tough cigarette smoking orphan dude. You know, like, so, um, so that's the scene is I'm with him and we're playing the piano and we're laughing and we're talking and we're doing the whole thing. And then she comes and interrupts us. And then she kind of like gives me this little hug and is like, see you later, Jimmy, or whatever the hell my name is, and like kicks me out of the room and then they could have their little intimate moment. Like, <laughs> oh, look at you, like giving music lessons like, on the I side. I want to be that guy yeah. in the next movie. But yeah, it was like the coolest thing. He's 10. So, yeah, I was like 12. But no, but you see it. So I was like, whoa, I'm like bumped up now. So now I'm like bumped up into the film, which was really cool. So that was my... Do you have an idea or inclination why they chose you out of the group? No. I mean, obviously there was something there that they saw. Yeah. Whether I was just so happy to be on set and yeah. not some weird bratty kid like, meh, you know, like, yeah. uh, or annoying parents. You they... McDonald's commercial and I have to sit here? You know, like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, or set parents are the worst too. I mean, probably the fact that, like, my parents were so chill. Like, they were, my parents, after that film, they were already decided to, like, this is the last thing we do. Like, this is not worth our fucking time to sit yeah. here all day. You know, and watch was my the son pay good? background. Um, I think so. I mean, whatever. It, like for a twelve-year-old, obviously Day it was rate, good. Yeah. You know, but um, uh, I've got. It's funny. I gotta ask my mom about that. I think I have a bank account and or something somewhere get, with that money. But did you get the SAG card because of this? Yeah. So yeah. that's so yeah. So they bumped me up, and it's called Taft Hartley Me and all that stuff. So like, yeah, I had to go all through the contract work and everything. Um, so, but then when I became bumped up, then everything became different because now I'm a union kid. So then all of a sudden, like, they have to have a trailer for me. Like, I have to have my own trailer. I have to have all this stuff. So, like, for the last week of shooting, even though I had already done my scene and they kept me on the film, all the regulations were different. And I remember, like, the first day wow. after that scene, I went to school. It was, like, one-on-one -on -one with the teacher. And I'm like, where's the kids? Where's the rest of the fucking kids yeah. on the film, this and that? And they're like, no, your timing's different, your rate's different, and blah, 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 and stuff. And I was like, fuck that. Like, I want to be with my friends, you know? So they're like, okay. And they'd bring me back into the classroom. But they tried to do everything according to the union after that. And, wow. and, and I remember being like, oh, fuck, like, everything's different now that yeah. I'm, like, a main player in this film. And what's a know? trip is, like, you don't really care about that. No, you I was like, You didn't know about oh. that. But, you know, it's huge. It's such a trip to... Yeah. Because... Yeah, I mean, speaking part versus, you know, background is, is a world of difference. Right. But the, the amenities and perks that come with it, you know, you're like, 
Dude, it's like different food. Yeah. Like you're like, yeah. you're um, like, hey, you go you eat over there now. What do you want in your omelet? The filet mignon over there, that's yeah. you for dinner. The buffet over there, that's yeah. that's the old you, you know? Yeah. And it was like, oh, I don't want to leave my friends, you know? But, you know, my mom's probably like, just shut up, dude. We're fucking taking the food, you know? Like, that's but, so cool. But, but she had decided after that, she's like, this is it. He's done. But it was, I think, like maybe the last couple days... There was like a friend who had a manager or something so on was set. This every day for two and a half weeks? Yeah, or like three days out of the week or something. Wow. Like, you know, or four days. And was it or in not. LA or? Uh... Yeah, Univer- we were on the Universal lot. So it was at Universal Studios, the back lot. So the tram would come by doing tours and they'd be like, off to the right, we have John Travolta shooting his new film. And like everyone would come up and it would be like, me and the orphan kids just standing there like waving to all the fucking tram people and they're taking photos of you and stuff. Yeah. Like, where's John Travolta? I don't know. Take a photo of those kids. They look important, you know. This was your first ever foray into No, acting. I think I did like... Uh, that was the there was like, like a TV show, like that show, Adam 12. I was like an extra on that. I think I did like a Teddy Graham's commercial where I was like a Adam 12 after extra. Chips, yeah, the emergent, the, the yeah, yeah, the, yeah, that, that cop John? show, yeah. Well, yeah, after Chips. Oh wait, Adam 12 yeah, is different. Was, yeah, it was like a cop show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like two, right, I'm thinking, thinking Chips. Right? No, I'm thinking yeah. it was back to back. So Chips would come on and Adam 12 would come on. Probably, after, I thought. you're probably right. I don't know. I just yeah. remember like they were. I watched them both. Yeah, back, back. You're, you're yeah. probably right. But yeah, it was kind of like a cop show, <laughs> so you know? So little things like that were happening. And then um, and then I got this like kind of manager person or whatnot. And she like started to send me on castings and stuff. And I just remember my parents being like, dude, we've got fucking four kids. We've got soccer practice. We've got, you know, baseball practice. Like, I can't fucking pull you out of school every day to drive to LA to do a fucking 15 minute casting and drive back. Yeah, that's a lot. And my parents eventually just had like, they like had that talk with me. They're like, hey, we know you love this, but I think when you're an adult, like you can make that decision on your own, but we can't like do this anymore. Cause I remember they were like, call my grandparents, like, can you go pick up Chris from school? And, yeah, like, they got three other kids. Bring them, yeah, bring them here to this casting. And you know, they were like, pick me up, drive me into Hollywood. And then even I, too, was at the point where I was kind of like, I'd get checked out of school, like, what? I've got soccer practice today. And they're like, no, come on, you got to go do this appointment. And I'd be like, all right. And they'd like drive me out there. And then I'd show up to soccer practice for like the last 10 minutes. And what a trip because it's something that you want to pursue yeah. yourself. Yeah. And your parents are like, all right, we'll go with it. But, I mean, yeah, that's such a... I mean, a lot of times it's, the other, way. it's the other way around. Usually. Yeah, it's usually, usually the other parents way that are pushing push it. their kids into it. Yeah, but you the found it, that, yeah. and you were trying to pursue it, which yes. is is cool. But in a parent's mind, like you know, holy shit! Like he's one of three, and the other three have soccer, football, baseball, blah 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 blah, yeah. and you know. Scheduling is everything. Scheduling. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I, have, I have kids and I'm like, dude, you're not doing soccer. We're going to go to water polo because your other kids are doing water polo and it's just, we're going to the same place. Same yeah. Time, you know? Like, yeah. We all, we're going to stick to this. <laughs> it's like me and surfing and ping pong. Let's just play ping pong. Let's we're just play, play ping pong. We're not going to play any other things. We're just going to do that. Who's ball? Everyone's right. Yeah. 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 So... The scheduling was too gnarly. It was too gnarly. It was too gnarly. And my parents didn't like being that stage parent. Like, they didn't like being on set. They were just like, this Was your mom a stay-at-home mom? She was, uh, like, the last half of my child. The beginning part, she... um, 
tried working a little bit. Like she sold Amway and did stuff like that. Yeah. But as my dad's, um, my dad was like an insurance salesman, but as his business became better and better and better, then she was able to stay home. And yeah. then by the time all four of us were there, she was a full stay at home mom. So it was, that was her. It was like, fuck, I got to pick up this kid at this time and drive to this practice and drop off. And then I got to pick up here and drop off. You know, there's four of us and we're close in age. It's not like we're spread out where it's like, oh, like little Jimmy gets out at 1.30 and, you know, it was just like we all had our stuff. Yeah, just, just pack up the whole car. Family, you know, freaking. That was it. We, had, we, we had an old, old, old school suburban. Today. Yeah. yeah, we had the old school suburban and that was it. We just piled in uh, one of those old, like, big Chevy Silverado Suburbans, yeah. you know, when they were, like, all, like, metal. Remember the ones that had the station wagons that had the seats that faced Back we had that back. first. That was the first car we had. How when sick we moved, was that car? Yeah, when we moved from Canoga Park to Agora, we moved in the station wagon. Yeah, loaded up, face backwards. Which my brand brother was it? Was it? I mean, a lot of brands probably had that. I don't know. Was it AMC Jeep Eagles? I don't know. There's a there's a couple. Of there is some old school uh, badass cars. Or just like. I wish yeah. I had that. Car yeah, you right fight now. for the seat facing backwards. Yeah, yeah, you're like, I want to send it the way back. You know. Yeah, Mercedes. My wife had a Mercedes station wagon. It had those little seats in the back that faced backwards, and the kids would I fight over that. it. They would be so stoked. Yeah, yeah. Make faces yeah. at people behind you. You know, like right. you know, at the stoplight. Like yeah. So this was. So that so that's me and John Travolta. So like that was our. It was funny. Um, he was great. Like great to all the kids. But I remember. Uh, my mom was like, John, can you and Chris get a photo together? And he was smoking a cigarette and he came over and gave me a big hug. But as he hugged me, he ashed his cigarette on me. And I remember being a little kid looking at like my sleeve and like brushing his like cigarette ash off me, you know, as he's just smoking a cigarette. John Travolta, you dick. Yeah. So then, uh, yeah. So that's the photo. You can see the cigarette in his hand right there. Yeah. Totally. So, but yeah, he was, he was great, but it also like gave me the sense of, being around like a movie star, you know? Yeah. And I was like, these guys are fucking cool. At least to me, like John Dude. Travolta, like at that age, you know, uh, so. he plays music, he dances, he smokes cigarettes. He's got like that, like, yeah, that cool man. look. Like he's the yeah. man. He was the man. You know what I mean? And yeah. I was like, oh, that's like. And, and earlier we said, this wasn't, this is on the downturn of his first like, like he's yeah. on a comeback. Yeah. Well, he's not on a comeback yet. This is the downturn of his career, right? That was when he was like doing little jobs to yeah. just keep his career alive. You yeah. Know? It was like, oh, we have this film, and you know, not a not a lead. I think the Three Men and the Baby, whatever is what brought, or whatever that film is, the yeah. Baby one brought him kind of back. Yeah. But that was before where. It was like, well, we could always ask John Travolta to be in this film. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, he used to be cool. It's, you know, like, you know. Pulp Fiction, I think, I is think the, the one well, that Well, Pulp Fiction, him. yes. That's the one that That's brought the one. him to start he, yeah, yeah, he did a bunch of these. That was what made him yeah. a badass and, like, changed it. Because he went into this, yeah, whatever those, yeah. that three series. I'm sure he made a lot of money on those because they were oh, hugely yeah. successful. Talking Babies. Yeah. They're fucking funny. Yeah, they were, they were good. great. But it was a different side of what, you know, from the dancing, what was the... Uh, Grease, Grease, he was like Grease. I mean, like, he, he was, was the heartthrob, and he was he the kind of yeah, he was off. a blockbuster hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and then and then he went there, and then he went back. I'm up. pretty sure there's interviews with him saying like, yeah, I was taking jobs for like scale, like I was getting paid what every other actor was getting paid on the film just yeah. to do the film, you know, like 
Yeah. So how long did you do this? Like before the parents like kind of pulled the plug, you took a little break. So there was like a, it was like a solid year and a half, maybe two years of like getting trying to do it. Yeah. And then they pulled the plug and said, when you're an adult, go ahead and do it if you want to do it. And like when, um, can I, when you're 16, yeah. meaning like you could go drive yourself. No, or like 18. 18. Like, yeah, when you're 18. So. Did you do commercials or like? Um, not then. Like if it were, if I did a commercial, it was maybe as like a background actor. But I didn't do like any like national commercials yeah. as a kid. You know, it was like that one woman who was like my booker would just like constantly throw us into stuff. Like, hey, they need a kid tomorrow. Go on set. You know. Yeah. And you would go and the like, money that you could fucking make is yeah. so mind blowing. Yeah. Oh, it's mind-blowing. Like, if I had even just done what I was doing, like, as a union actor, even a background union actor gets paid more. It's like you go from making $85 a day to, like, $350 a day, you yeah. know? Like, even if I did that as a kid up until, like, now, I'd fucking, be, you know. Yeah. Laughing. Yeah, yeah. The money yeah. would be ridiculous, but... And eventually, like, you're in the scene more and people see you more and, then, you know, like, it's just networking. Like, all of that, you know, leads... Yeah, I mean, that, that's a big part of that industry, too, is, like, there's no... You always hear about success stories, but more often than not, people, fucking are people have been grinding for yeah. years yeah. and years and years. No one's like, there's a ha only a, a handful of people that are lucky that, you know, yeah. get a, a good break. It's called a big break. Yeah. That's what everyone's chasing, but, yeah. you know, that's all it takes, less that than 1% one. 1 of people get that. You yeah. know, it's like the whole world has to come together for that one person to get what they call their big break. Isn't that mental? You know, so it's... Yeah, a lot yeah. of... Lot, lot of so yeah. So you took a break from it. Yeah. What what got you back into it? So what got me back into it was um, there were two things. So one was uh, the neighbor I talked about, Pat Nataro. His son was like a cinematographer, director, and was already working in the industry. Hmm. And I started uh, doing like weird odd jobs with him every once in a while. Like he'd be like, "Oh, I'm a cinematographer on this music video. Come be like a second AC." And I'll pay you really good, you know? So then I started working with him a little bit behind the scenes because I still had that like in the back of my head, like I want to work in the entertainment industry somehow. Um, so like working with him, like, hey, you want to come to set and work with me? I'd be like, fuck yeah, let's do it, you know? Like to help. Yeah, like work behind, audio, behind the camera, behind the camera okay. stuff. So I would like load film. And like back in the day when you would shoot film on like 16 millimeter, they'd give you a little pop tent and everything, could, you couldn't see daylight or the film would be flashed, it'd be ruined. So they would shoot and you'd have to like blind load these canisters of film in this tent, close it up and then pull it out and pray to God there's not like a strip of film sticking out or the oh. thing's not like, they like just cracked this bit. You're like, okay, I think it's pulling. You pull it out you're like, okay, we're good. And then you'd go run it to set and they'd throw it into the camera <laughs> and shoot, you know? Stressful. Yeah, and then they have all the footage and there's like horror stories of people doing this film and then all of a sudden like the zipper's not what they thought and the thing flaps open and the light comes in and they're like, uh, everything we just shot on that roll is done. We need Three to hours. reshoot it. Yeah, we need to reshoot it all. And they're like, fuck, fire that guy. Like he just flashed the film, you know? So Sounds like my computer. Yeah. <laughs> so doing, yeah, so I was doing stuff like that. Um, but after high school, like towards the end of high school and high school, like surfing was everything. All I wanted to do was surf. And when I graduated high school, I just wanted to move to the beach. So I moved up to Santa Barbara, which not like necessarily the best place for waves, but at least I moved to the beach. And um, I went were you, to- Were you going to school or? Yeah, I was going to City College there, which okay. was a, like genuine waste of time. It was like- What, what were your 
what did you think you wanted to be? Well, originally what I wanted to do was do two years there and then go to possibly a film school after that or like Brooks and do photography. I was thinking like, I'm going to do this for two years and I'm going to go to an art school. Um, that was what was in the back of my mind. And I'm like, so now I'm just going to get my general education and get these classes out of the way type of thing. But even that was, once I started, I was just like, I had a hard enough time graduating high school. And uh, going to college was just the same thing. It was like, now I'm on my own. Yeah, now I'm like, I'm just going to go fucking surf. Like, I don't need to go to school, you know? And it got to the point at the end, my classes were like acting, guitar, uh, photography, science and marine biology those were like the only classes i was taking you know it was like even those classes got you nowhere so it was kind of like i knew i needed to either pursue a career or um or i don't know travel the world or something stupid like that you know where i was like i'm either like moving to bali or i'm moving to hollywood hmm, let me see which one you know um so already having like side jobs with that guy pat you know, and he would pay, pay me great. Like I could work three days with him and pay my whole month's rent in Santa Barbara, you know? So I'm like, I might as well just move to Hollywood and work. So that's what I did was my friend Wu and I, who, uh, Dr. Wu, really big tattoo artist now, like hugely worldly famous tattoo artist. Me Dr. and my Wu. Dr. Wu is his, his name, his tattoo name. But him and I moved to Hollywood together. He came up to Santa Barbara for a little bit to go to school because we grew up together. And we're like, fuck it, let's move to Hollywood. Let's move to the city, you know? And uh, so we moved down to Hollywood together and I started um, working with Pat a little bit to make money. And then I started taking like um, acting classes, but it was like a secret. It was like, I wouldn't tell anybody, but like at nighttime I'd be like, hey, I'll be back in an hour. And I would like go off and do like an audition class or a scene reading class, or I'd go watch theater. But it was like, it was like surfing as a kid, like almost embarrassed to tell my peers, like I was into it. So. You're taking secret acting classes. Yes. Yeah. But I was scared to tell my friends because it just doesn't sound cool. You know, it, it was embarrassing for me. Yeah. So we're living, me and Wu, we're living in Hollywood. And um, does Wu surf too? No, Wu, Wu hates the beach. Wu, Wu, wants, <laughs> Wu wants nothing to do with the beach. He's, uh, yeah, he, but he's, he's, a, he's an artist, true and true. And he's insane. Like he's doing collaborations with like Nike and Porsche and all these ridiculous oh, wow. brands now. Wu is, he's he's a major success story. Also an Agora Hills kid from Agora Hills. So and he skateboarder. Skateboard, yes. So he skateboarded. So he grew up with us skateboarding, and he knows Spanky, all those guys. And um, so Wu and I are living together in Hollywood. But our common thread is like art, skateboarding, and going out and partying with your friends. That's the main thing. Yeah, you're wrong. So, you're in your, your heyday, man. Right, exactly. The Hollywood We're, parties are different. Hollywood parties are different. And that was definitely like went up a notch. You go from being in high school to high school parties. Then we went college in Santa Barbara, which was kind of that college party scene, which we thought was like kind of lame. Kind of frat boys. Yeah, and, yeah, it was more like... Sorority frat Yeah, it just like, didn't. It felt yeah. too like... Cool, but... College yeah. frat bro type thing, you know? But Hollywood was like cool. Like Hollywood was like sophisticated and it was money. you could well you could go from extremely sophisticated parties to like you look in a quarter in a corner and like Polly Shore's like railing lines or something weird like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not, I don't know Polly Shore if she's using that example, but <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like that's where you're like, 
this is a different level of, yeah. you know, we're not doing keg stands anymore. This is like serious, like money in Hollywood and artists and people you look up to, you're like, whoa, these guys are gnarly, you know? They're yeah. networking. Yeah, whatever they're doing, it's <laughs> they're, they're, you know, therapy. But, um, but, but secretly at night, I'm taking these classes. And then what happens to these classes is I meet this other actor and he goes, dude, there's this uh, theater institute that I just like auditioned for that you should audition for. It's the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute and it's like this whatever prestigious place and you should go in there. And I went in there and uh, they were like, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's hold an audition. You can do it. Comes to find out that pretty much everybody makes it because they just want students, you know. But you audition for this theater institute and then that becomes your like schooling. So then I was essentially switched to this full-time theater school. And that, that was, to me, that was everything. I was like, oh my God, like I'm fully in it now. Like this wasn't a kid like doing extra work on sets. This is like theater. This is serious. This is serious acting. This is like you start working on your craft. You start like working on psychology. You start learning how to break down books and film and scripts. And you're encouraged to like read all this crazy stuff. Like your intelligence is challenged immediately. Crazy. And I was, but I loved it. I was like, this is what I wanted. Yeah. So almost going to that school and being able to do that. Like I couldn't take enough classes. I was taking like scene study classes. I was taking history of theater. I was taking every class I could like get my hands on. And for me, it was like, I went from barely graduating high school to trying to fake my way through city college to now not having enough classes to sign up for. Like I would go to school for 12 hours. Devouring your craft. Devouring, like. That's such a trip. Yeah. Um, cause we had the same, not, not the same, but we had this conversation with, uh, John Philbin who is, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. turtle from North shore yes. from point break from yeah. all of it. Right. And it was surprisingly refreshing to hear. And you're saying the same things, how invested and in, like into his craft he was. Right. You know, and you're like, you're saying the same thing, like acting and being a thespian and learning the craft and perfecting it was your, you know, passion, your goal. Yeah. So it was, it was my biggest obsession since surfing as a kid, you know, surfing as a kid was all I like. I remember being a teenager as a kid and if my parents wouldn't take me to the beach, I would like cry. I would genuinely like go in my room and cry because I couldn't go to the beach and surf that day. And I knew I had to wait until all the way next weekend to ask my parents again to go surf, like obsessed, right? Yeah. Um, I used to like wax the side of my wall. This is another thing I totally forgot about. It's just kind of my head, but like where I slept, the side of my wall, you know, remember the bright pink like sex wax? Yeah. I waxed the side of my the wall label? next to my bed so I could smell surf wax when I went to bed. <laughs> So like I would lay there smelling, like smelling sex wax. I don't think like, everyone anyone's ever confessed that, but that was both sex wax and bubble gum. I would, I would lay the, like put the sticker or the not sticker, the piece of paper down, and then like try to wax over so it was like a logo. It was because you, you couldn't on your, Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It was it was uh, 
but that's like how obsessed I was with surfing was like, I just wanted to smell surf wax as, yeah. I, as I went to sleep, you know? So like that obsessed where now um, I'm living in Hollywood and I found that type of obsession with acting. And what's funny is it hit me the same time kind of surfing did too, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. That was like, they both hit me at the same time. But as a kid, you can't, you're not in charge of your life that way where yeah. you can't just do that, you know? So um, to be able to jump back into this, and what's funny is that line my mom always told me is, you know, when you're an adult, if you want to do this, go ahead and do this. Mm -hmm. Like if you're serious about it. And now there I am, 21, 20, 21 years old, living in Hollywood and like engulfed in it, like studying acting eight to 12 hours a day. You so know? here you are with your passion, your... Uh, what do you call it? Obsession. Yeah, obsession, passion. What kind of actor did you want to be? Like the most serious, like the most serious. And that's what's so naive about every, not every, but most actors when it's tough when you don't have someone already in the industry to help you or mentor you, or you just haven't been doing it so long as a kid where you kind of learn some of that stuff along the way where yeah. you're like, oh, fuck, I can make a lot of money by just laughing and like throwing an egg on my friend's head. You know, like something as stupid as that that anyone in the world can do. Yeah. But when you start, especially people who go to like these universities, you want to be taken schools, serious. You, you want to be professional. Right. So you want to be taken as the most serious actor. So every play that I studied were these like deep serious roles you know you're studying like Chekhov and you know all these different people because you just want to go so deep um, and that's how you want to like revel yourself as I am this serious actor who's gonna do serious roles you know but so are you um, doing like playhouses and stuff yeah so like through that school they had two theaters and then there was a theater company within the school called the September Company and I immediately got to be a part of that company which was a very small company within the school like they kind of took like the best of the best out of the school to be part of the theater company and we would put plays on and for new students, old students, people within the city could come and watch so um, to jump forward a little bit I remember my very first acting job from like an adult was a, a Christmas movie called Christmas at Water's Edge. It was for like NBC. But I was doing uh, the play Dracula at the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute through the September company. It was like a big thing. And we were getting ready to... Um, You're doing like, Dracula and you get recruited to do a Christmas movie? To do a movie, yeah. Yeah, isn't that funny? Because you got to shoot the Christmas movie before Christmas. Yeah. So it was like, we're rehearsing Dracula in September. We're going to run it the whole month of October. And I remember I get casted on the film in September and they're, you know, getting ready to shoot through October, edit that thing and be ready like December 1st to air it on NBC or probably December, whatever, 4th or something. But um, so I remember my agent called me and they were like, you're booked. There's more to that story. But I was like, I, that's the same day I have like the premiere of my play. And my agent was like, what, what the fuck are you talking about a play? Like, what do you... This is a paying job for NBC. Like, yeah. did you did you book a play? What is going on with this play? And I was kind of like, oh, never mind, never mind. I'll figure it out. Because I'm like, I was so invested in that school yeah. and like putting up serious productions that even a paying acting job, my initial reaction was, oh, I can't do that. I've got to do my 
theater. I've got to do my play. Yeah. You know, that was my initial reaction. But then I was like, oh, wait, yeah, I, I can do both. It's just one night. You know, like, I can figure this out. So it was, uh, it was hardcore. It was, it was serious, you know. So. And what was that, like, work? Was it, like, booked for, was it, how long were you recording the whole month? Like, was it a good long time? No, like, uh, a few weeks? so what's funny, what, what goes full circle was with that film, my first acting job again was an orphan. So I played an orphan again. So really, I'm like, for cool. Christmas. I'm like, I've got the orphan look down. Like, as a 12-year-old, well, Christmas. Christmas at Water's Edge. Christmas at Water's Yeah, Edge. I think it's got like five out of 10-star rating. <laughs> uh, and it was with Tom Bosley, who used to be the dad on Happy Days. Yeah. He was like the head of the orphanage guy. So Tom Bosley, like, ran the orphanage. Um, and the whole point was like, you know, it's typical Christmas story, like some rich girl is forced to do community service with these like orphans and then learns the real meaning of like Christmas spirit. And then they put on this like Christmas like play with these orphans for all these rich people. And then they all, you know, it's like this happy she fell in love with you. type thing. I wish she actually <laughs> fell in love with, um, Tom the, there was, a, there was a guy who wasn't an actor, but like another guy who had to, no one fell in love with the orphans at the end of the day. We were just orphans, but uh, they had like another boy who was like a rich boy. They were like the two leads and they both were like, oh, I can't believe we're stuck with this community service together, you know? But then by the end, they like fall in love with each other and they realize like, we just want to give back and adopt orphans, you know? <laughs> so was the like movie production that you got on that set, was it Shout with mm. John Travolta and then this like NBC kind of like a TV series for Christmas? Was it like comparable? Like as far as the... You know, like what you experienced on the set and everything, you know, because you yeah, always think about like, you always hear yeah. the big budget movie or, you know, not so big budget, but it's like movie versus like a right. TV, TV movie made, TV. made for TV. It, they were, they were different for yeah. sure. And um, I remember like, well, being on that movie Shout, that was a big deal. Like that was shot at big, Universal. Big like like they, I mean. built, like, they built full neighborhoods yeah. for that film. You know, they built sets and... It was, you know, hundreds of people on that production. You know, that was crazy. Whereas this was definitely more your TV for movie set. You know, it was like uh, you and, you know, Mike and the other orphan, you guys just like share this little space. This is your little holding space, you yeah. know, and um, it was, but yeah, it was, it was a gig and it was, it was. It kicked I, off the I the didn't second. care. Yeah, what's funny is like, uh, being on set, like, you know, the whole uh, theory of being on set is like, hurry up and wait, right? Like, yeah. okay, we got to have you there at 7 a.m. We got to put you through hair and makeup. You got to do this. You got to check in. Did you get breakfast? Car. Get breakfast. You get breakfast. Then they're like, oh, wait, you're going to be on set. Your scene's up next. Let's just do touch-ups. And you're like, okay, it's 1045. Like, and then they call you in and they're like, okay, stand right here. Just walk by and say, sure. And you like walk by and you're like, sure. And they're like, all right, cut. Okay. Uh, go back to your holding place, wow. you know, and then you're like, wait, and then it's that lunchtime. So yeah. Then it's like lunch and you're eating lunch and you're like, I wonder if they're going to use me again. And then you like, feels dumb. You like go to like the AD and you're like, Hey, am I still, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing like 26.4. We're shooting that one today. I've got you on it. You're in it. And you're like, okay, I'll just go back to my little holding place. And you like go back and like read a book for a little bit. But what's funny is the very second day on set, because there was so much of that, like hurry up and wait, I brought a skateboard to set and started skating 
in the parking lot and fucking gave the producers a heart attack. Like they came out and they were like, whoa, what the, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You can't skateboard. And I'm like, what else am I gonna do? I'm here all day. Like, like there's a rad little red curb right here. Like I'm just grinding yeah, and hanging on this curb. Yeah, stuff. they're like, no, you can't get hurt on set. Oh my God, put that skateboard away. I'm like, all right. And like through the skateboard back of my truck, you know? And they like encourage you. They're like, go get a Game Boy or something or whatever was popular <laughs> at that time. You know what I mean? Like. Go watch a movie, dude. <laughs> like, you know, you're like, oh, okay, sorry about that. You know, I'm like, I'm not gonna get hurt, and if I do, like, I'm sure as hell not gonna tell you guys about it. Like, if I roll my ankle, you know. Yeah. Um, but that was like, all right, and so that was, um, and then I remember too, like, because I was doing that play. Then it was like, well, I guess I could study my lines for the play, and then um, what ended up happening was I would shoot that all day rap and then drive straight to the theater and then do Dracula at nighttime and then do my theater production at night. So like they'd wrap me out at 530. I'd drive immediately to uh, like a the theater institute. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you do your 8 p.m. showing of Dracula and I was Harker, which was, you know, one of the leads. So um, and then I would do that theater production until I want to suck your blood. Yeah. So it was, it was full on. Like it was, I was, that was it. That was my obsession, you know. How many years did you do that? So I did that like safely, I would say from about 22 until 28-ish. And oh. that's when I got together with my wife, which to me is just like the tip of the iceberg. It's not a lot of time at all. That's like six, seven years maybe. Yeah. Um, and then once my wife who was my girlfriend at the time got pregnant it kind of like you know we just had to figure out our life she had already had a successful clothing brand she's a designer so she had a really successful clothing brand so it was like cool this is where our income's coming from her own home brand. brand yeah and it was kind of like cool are you just gonna watch the kid what are you gonna do and i was like no i have this career like i'm going on castings and you know i'm gonna do theater and do all this stuff and it was like really you're gonna have a newborn baby like what the, what the fuck do you think like a casting doesn't put money on our table you can't bring your daughter to a casting like what are you gonna do and then it became very very tricky what what uh sorry to what's your wife's uh, what was your wife's clothing? It's called brand? Night Nightcap Clothing. Nightcap. Okay. Yeah. And what was so, it like? Um, like a high end women's line. She did like cocktail dresses and mm-hmm. everything from like. There's, there's got to be there's got to be yeah, there's like, got to be oh, wives some husbands that they can ask their wives like hey have you heard of Nightcap Clothing and maybe one out of four of you the wife will be like oh my god I fucking love Kit Nightcap like. She did private label for free people and she was doing a lot of different stuff, nice. you know, and to where she was, you know, in over 200 doors in the U.S. selling to like Saks, Neiman Marcus, all these big people, you Sweet. know. So um, her business was on the up and up and that was kind of what put like the wrench in what I was doing where I was like, whoa, okay, now I need to do another reevaluation of my life. Like what's more important here. And obviously family being more important. I was kind of like, I can take a break, you know, I can take a step back. Um, so you did the Christmas show. Mm-hmm. What, what did you do after that? So cause, I did, cause you got married six years yeah. later. Okay. Entourage. So, so I did entourage. So I did the Christmas movie. I did Entourage. I did a lot of little like indie films. And I did like, and then you do stuff all over the place. Like you do a music video. I had done a few like national commercials. 
So you're kind of like chipping away yeah. at building a career. So in my mind, because I did do a commercial a long time ago. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't, yes. you, wouldn't you just like parlay commercial after commercial? Not necessarily. No? Like it doesn't, it's, I mean, the commercial it's world. It's luck, timing, break. It's luck. luck, timing, but also it's, it's a different world than like the theatrical world. It's even different agents. Like you don't have just one agent that's like, oh, there's a, like a Snickers commercial. Let's send them out for that. Oh, there's Entourage. Send them out. Like it's completely different worlds, different agents. Yeah. And um, that's why it's good to have those big agencies because they have those people that like, departments hey, we just yeah, this department's on music or yeah. commercials and this department's on film and this, yeah. you know, like yeah. they have that umbrella. So, so I always had two different agents. I had my theatrical agent. I had my commercial agent. Commercial people would send me out for commercials. Theatrical people, you call that television, film, theater. They send you up for that. I mean, you, you love acting, right? Yeah. And you, you want to put out amazing content right and with commercials it's like it's like the cheap way of, of acting right not it's, really like the money's you know I mean? good it's like, but it's, mon- no, it's no, like a stepping stone the like, money part is what yeah. I'm talking about and yeah. the, the it's fucking easy like a, it's easy like, it, like you're, you're making commercials day, maybe a few days if it's a really like it's usually like, one day yeah. two days Bro, at the most like and then the residuals and because the residuals. It's like, I was right. smart way back in the day I should have pursued that right and I you know you see certain people and they're like in all the commercials right yeah it doesn't happen as much anymore because I I, maybe it still does I don't really watch a lot of TV but you see these yeah (laughs) there's still commercials (laughs) well there is right but I never watch them anymore like I always yeah there's not the same but you, you know when you're on commercials you know you film for a day or you film yeah. for an hour, yeah. right? Yeah, and your residual income from that could last years. Yeah, depending on the commercial, <laughs> it's great. I mean, like, yeah, I remember I did a NASCAR commercial, and they played it through the whole NASCAR season, and then they did like half the next season, and I was like, oh, this is amazing, yeah. you know. But that commercial world, there are dudes who are good at that, and they they kind of capitalize. They've got the look. They've got that like quirky kind of, you know, personality. And I think like we used to always say like a lot of the commercial world, it's like a lot of, it's real easy for like comedians to get into acting through commercials because they're already like charming and funny, yeah. you know? So it was real easy to make a funny face and be like, mm, I love this cheeseburger, really you know? animated, they could really yeah. sell like, you know, a lot of it's not just the line. Yeah, like you said, it's, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. So, so, the, so then you got to almost, as an actor, you have to train yourself like, oh, I'm going in for this commercial. I got to kind of put on my commercial face. Yeah. But then you're going out for the serious, like, film. You're like, hold on. Let me hone this in and kind of, you know. Get into use like a real tools. character and it's, really yeah. get deep into it. Yeah. At, the commercial part is, like, so not mundane but it looks so easy but so lucrative yes and then um the uh the acting and and theater and like that is awesome but it seems so like arduous it's so it's so much more work so it's a labor practice. of love yeah practice and review and getting in character yeah. and the look it's... and whether it's a period or certain time or look or 
Yeah, like it's a it's a lot arduous, a lot yeah. of work. Yeah, so because it's it's, it's like more rewarding. Like, it's like if you're like, at a subway, you're just like fucking yeah, just look at this, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's it. it. <laughs> yeah, like, no, hey, I love beer. Yeah, I do the best. Fucking shoots, dude. Shoots. <laughs> We're having a podcast or on the beach, campfire, fishing. <laughs> that's it. Fucking shoots. So, but, Right. That's why so many athletes and stuff do commercials because they can. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You know, there are a, just lot, a lot of celebrity like commercial people. Yeah, you just got to figure it out for that day and you're like, I nailed it. You so know, I'll find the entourage clip that you're, you're in or we're in a couple episodes. Or, There's a couple. Yeah. 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 So how did that come about? That was through like a casting, just, you know, my agent said putting me out on something and going through the casting process and then getting casted for that. Uh, show so it was yeah I went through that and then the first episode I did they fired me on the show Jeremy Piven fired me which was like a classic scene I think he won the Emmy that year and I had friends they were like were you were you like his secretary in it I was like a mailroom guy but he like confused me as an agent that had fucked up so he like came up to me and was like what the you know what are you doing like you're fucking I I think I saw this yeah and then fires me and then they brought me back on the show because the mistake of the firing was like so comical. They were like, let's bring this guy back. So then they brought me back and uh, I had to like reinvigorate to him. Like, hey, remember me? You fired me for doing this, but really I was wrong and all this stuff. And then he, his character just being such a dick, like he just instantly like puts it back to me, you know, like, I don't care. Like go get lost basically. So uh, yeah, so it was, it was funny, but that, that show was amazing and that was, that was big time. it's like one of the biggest shows and during the time HBO like history. yeah that was like the only times I, I've ever gotten recognized on the street was when like that show was on the air still yeah people were like dude you were on that episode and I'm yeah like, it was a big it was a big big show yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a big show so I did that and then like did this Disney show did it, you know like just little things like that's what it is as an actor, especially in your 20s, because you don't, your business mind isn't fully there yet. No. You're just, your artist mind is 100% there. Yeah. And that's what it is trying to make it is, you know, you're doing every little job you can take, whether it's a commercial or a spot on a television show, you know, or an indie film or even like. But it's, it's yeah, it's experience and getting your kind of like used to, you know, going through the, the process, you know, like yeah. when you're it is, yeah. turning on, it's like when you were first describing that, like Christmas show, you know, you're like, fuck, you're just so much downtime. You got to turn on in this one fucking minute and then you're down, you know, like yeah. there's a lot to learn outside of just being able to be a character. Like, you know, like, Hey, you're, you're on. Well, yeah. that, well, that's also what they, there's, you know, you can learn by practice, but you learn the most by doing. And that's why, you know, you'll see some of these big actors are like, I've never taken a class. And it's like, well, they've worked so much that they've developed like the tools they need through that. And, and that's one thing you learn right away too, is you're like, all right, cool. Like I'm getting in the character, you're doing all your backstory, you're doing all this work. And then you show up on set, but then you wait around for like six hours and you're like, all right, I'm kind of losing that feeling that I had when I showed up today. And then you're like, let me get back into it. And you're like trying to get in the zone. And then before you know it, they're like, hey, we cut your scene down. Really all you got to say is like, nice to meet you. And then you show up and you've got all these emotions and you're like, nice to meet you. You know, and they're like, cool, cut. That's a wrap on Chris. Thanks, buddy. And you're like, I just fucking spent three days getting into this whole scene because I thought I was going to like tell this guy off, but really 
they just wanted it to be a passive thing. And now yeah. I just say, nice to meet you. And then you go on your way and you're like, God damn. Like, well, that and like, you know, the, the fucking production, like the lights and the cameras and all the people, like, cause you know, like, yeah. you know, you're just the like, village that like puts out and that fucking screws with your, your mind, you know, yeah. set and your confidence and yeah. your kind of ability to perform, you know, like, so, fuck. Oh yeah. It's, it's you, you, uh, like you, you can have practice to, all day, like you right. said, and then now you got fucking, you're, you're in the spotlight, like yeah. well, perform. It's like when we, when we think about acting, right? Yeah. Like we're not actors, right? Uh, I, don't uh, I don't know. I mean, I, don't know. I look like a, I look like a movie star. Hey, you're made for podcasts on Spotify and Apple and hey, everywhere else. You're, you have a face for radio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but what I'm trying to say, it's like acting is so much more, there's so much more to it, especially when, you know, yeah, when it's a, a labor of love and you're making serious films, serious pieces. And we don't think about that. Like no. we don't think about like the, the, the getting into character and reading, you know, scripts and like practicing over and over a thousand times. It's like, a a, a pianist or a concert yeah. pianist practicing. Is that penis? Yeah. <laughs> Pathworded penis. penis. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, there's so much more to acting than meets the eye and, yeah. and what we can comprehend. Well, especially, right? yeah, when you're trying to just get anything you can and it's like, yeah, you're fucking playing a, you know, thriller, then you're doing fucking Christmas and you're doing this and you're fucking, you know, you know, all, all these different, you know, once you know you land that one job and it's like okay this character's written in and we're in a series and you're yeah. like okay now i can just focus on being this one type yeah. of character but when you're just hopping around like yeah. yeah that's fucking hard yeah it's tough i mean that's why that's why you have to be that prepared in that you have to have like not only that thick skin but you've got to have all those tools because you don't know what's going to get you can you, can you cry on demand Dude, right now, I'll start crying. <laughs> well, actually, you know, the scene, the obvious thing would be to cry, but because I'm going to show it internally, I'm actually not going to cry, but the audience is going to cry for me. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what's uh, going to happen. That's Jedi mind trick. But that's, but that's right hey, you want me you to know, cry, kick me in the jimmy? Uh, yeah, and then yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> to but make your audience yes. cry? That's yes. the ultimate Jedi mind trick. That's the Jedi. But that's but that's all the stuff you go through, you know, where there's so many times where you watch a film and say an actor starts crying, or at least for me, I'm just like, oh my God, give me a fucking break. So who, who was your uh, heroes in acting? Uh, when I was going through like that theater institute, um, the, um, the actor studio, which this was kind of like an extension of that, I was starting to kind of transform more to doing stuff at the actor studio. So all those old school guys like that grew up with the studio, like Paul Newman mm -hmm. and, um, like Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino, those old school guys who you would consider like your actors, actors. Those were the guys that I always Legends. wanted to be like because you saw their you saw their journey. You you know, and none of those guys were like kid actors. Yeah. They all kind of went through that process of like, I'm so passionate about this. Now that I'm an adult and I can make my own decisions, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna live and die by it, you know? Your favorite movie. Oh god. Which that's which actor, one. which favorite movie? 
That is so cool. that that I mean, there's so many. Because Al Pacino, Paul Newman, who, who's the other guy? Oh, Dustin Hoffman. But those are more Dustin actor Hoffman. studio guys. Like, um, I would say there's two films that are going to come to mind right now that blew me away. One was when I saw Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's that, great. That film, I was like, yeah, you're so just in it. You're living the film. Yeah. And like Jack was, that was quintessential Jack. Like that was like made him, he could do whatever the fuck he wanted after that. You yeah. know? The title of that movie is so perfect. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Oh, it's in, the movie is... What's it, the Shining? It's, it's like <laughs> the shiny was yeah. sick too. Yeah, that that film is almost. Like I was so scared. But of that. one flew over the cuckoo's nest. No, that was he was so, so one flew good. over the cuckoo's nest. We gotta watch that movie. Yeah, again. and some a little bit more modern, but close. You know, um, Daniel Day Lewis and There Will Be Blood was that was the last time I think I actually went to theater. I was lucky I got to see a like an early screening of that where um, Paul Thomas Anderson did like a Q and A afterwards. But I was in the theater and I was like vocally going like, oh my God, are you fucking kidding me? This film is insane. Like in the moment, not like everybody talked about it and then you rewatch it and you're like, yeah, that film's great. Like I was getting a reaction. It, yeah. Like genuinely like how people used to go to the cinema and cheer. Yeah. That was me. I was like ready to cheer. Like when I watched that film in, in the theater. For you're the like sitting time. there going, what the fuck? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Like, but the whole audience was like, we just watched a masterpiece. They yeah. knew it because it was all industry people. Who there, were there will be blood. Which one was that? It's the old where he uh, plays uh, Daniel Playview, and he like is an old oil like miner, but oh. he starts and then he goes through the whole thing and then adopts the boy. And, yeah, yeah. Um, that film was insane, and and I just remember his he. I think he was in every scene of that film. He in the first five minutes of that film, there's no dialogue. It's just him like mining for oil. Like you're just watching him like live this like job of mining for oil in like the 1920s or whatever it was. It was insane. So, so crazy. Yeah. yeah. There's like so, I mean yeah. I, I, when you ask that question, favorite movie, and I, I'm like, holy shit! Like mine just I, I don't know. I don't even yeah. think I can narrow it down. Yeah. But there's genres. I mean like yeah. also like. Tommy Boy is, is one of the funniest <laughs> movies that I could watch a hundred times in a row and laugh I just saw every that time. Yeah. Yeah. A couple yeah, it's never, and it never Richard. gets old. <laughs> you know, and it never gets old. Just, I'm like, is this my favorite movie? Maybe it's my favorite movie. So funny, but you know how much fun they had doing that. That's oh, what yeah. I picture is this being on the set going, when, these guys get paid. They just had the fucking best. Oh, man. Best you, time ever. Yeah. When you stumble on YouTube, you know, you, you, you watch something and then it starts feeding you all kinds of like like-minded yeah. videos and, and you watch like bloopers and you watch the bloopers and like you said how much fun they're having oh, dude yeah you can like, just see it you can just see yeah. like how couldn't you have yeah, fun it fully, come, it fully comes across <laughs> you, you know uh, what's that god it's uh, what's his name Will Farrell Farrell oh. in um, uh, East Down East Down and Down yeah, yeah he's one of the co-producers yeah. He's oh, down and down. Yeah, he plays the, the, the dude that's rich. He's got bleach white hair. Okay. And he's like owns a bunch of car dealerships yeah. and the way he talks. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I can feel it <laughs> in, my, in the plums. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, how? 
and the um, you know they just write Daryl from the office just, yeah. super character like they're right. super close to each other and, and everyone's just breaking character just like oh yeah watch Eastbound and Down bloopers oh my god I think that's they have hilarious the best, they have, I think they have the best bloopers like yeah. there's too many too yeah, many it's too many that's fucking a good show yeah so acting how much more like. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're gonna be here till midnight. Yeah, I know. This is well, we like, we could do a, like a follow up. We're gonna we're gonna dive into like oh, your you family business. Yeah, I feel like maybe we can. It's only been six hours now. We've been podcasting, so <laughs> I, th- I think <laughs> it's ready. I yeah, think it's, I think ready. it's only it's been two hours and thirteen minutes. Dude. Yeah. Okay, two hours and thirteen minutes gives me another two hours and thirteen minutes. Check under there for uh, for glass glasses or cups. I know I know Amber anything. Yeah, yeah, even a even a paper cup or. Yeah, that metal one back there. You could just empty that shit out. Oh, we got one wine glass. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Oh, wine glass. There you go. Told you. There you go. That's all. We we can share. Oh, there's still like the wine residue in the glass. That's oh shit. Telling you, bro. I told you they're winos. (laughs) Yeah. You knew. Doc, we're gonna borrow your champagne glasses. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. We'll just wash them. That's all. It's all good. I'll take the skinny one. Yeah. So, so let's this let's switch family, gears. Family business. It's called Four Brothers Wine Co. Obviously, we know the name because of you know four of you. Right, four of us started really small and what year? Ninety nine? Did I read or no? Two thousand twelve oh, was, was our first year. But I had started before that. I was living in Topanga Canyon and I had a little home vineyard there. So I planted my own vineyard. Um, off basically a recommendation for a friend who was like, dude, you should like plant a vineyard here. This, that would look killer, you know? And I'm like, yeah. So planted my own vineyard, farmed my own vineyard, and was getting ready to like make wine in my garage and learn how to do that. And uh, that, Have you ever done anything like that before? No. Not before that. Before that was like just zero wine in. knowledge. Yeah, zero wine knowledge at all. But I liked the idea of planting my own vineyard. And, um, and then it became something that I slowly got into and it sent me up north to like the San Ynez Valley. And that's where I started to meet other winemakers and I was able to like get supplies for my vineyard and uh, visit wineries and do different things. And then I had a winemaker friend who offered me a really small amount of Syrah from this vineyard, Thompson Vineyard. That's when I called my brothers and was like, hey, I've got this idea. What if, I mean, we had talked about doing something together because there was the four of us and figuring out a way to like market that with t-shirts or something stupid. But I was like, what if we did this like high quality wine? We just called it Four Brothers. And worst case scenario, you know, we make our own wine, we drink our own wine and we give it away to friends and family, but at least we have our name on something. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, that sounds rad. Let's do it, you know? So I was like, okay, I'll take care of everything. and. And that's what I did was I went up there and uh, went step through step through the winemaking process, like went through harvest, went through the winemaking process. And then flash forward, we have our first bottle that's there and ready. And it was funny, we had a few friends that owned restaurants. So we were like, try this, like you guys know what's up, like tell us what you think. And they were like, no, it's good. And we're like, come on, like, and they're like, no, seriously, like we're gonna buy it. And we're like, oh shit, we're Dang. gonna sell wine. Like, what was the first batch? Like, how many? Like, we did how, like bottles, or do you say? I think a hundred cases. Uh, like a hundred cases. Hundred cases. Yeah. So, so, so we were thinking, oh, between the four of us, we could easily drink all that, like in a year, no problem. So, worst case scenario, we'll just drink it all, you know. So we had like a hundred cases, 
And we brought it to our restaurant friends and they, uh, shout out to the old place. Um, they were like the first restaurant, the old place in Cornell Winery, right in like Mulholland Canyon right there. Morgan Runyon is a dear family friend who's like employed half my brothers, me and half my brothers, you know. Um, the old place. Yeah, the old place. They were like, let's do it. Let's throw it on the menu. And um, so we like in one day instantly had two accounts that were right next door to each other. And we started selling the old wine place in there. What was the other place? Cornell Winery. Okay. So those two places were our like bread and butter. And what's funny was those places have like, there's a lot of respect around those places. They're like, you know, you could go there any weekend and have a celebrity spotting because it's, it's, it's rustic. It's like under the radar where people feel comfortable going there. Yeah. And especially back then, it was even it's more, more old under the Hollywood radar. jaunt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even more under the radar and family established business. So selling our wine there was like a really good look. So and can, then, can I ask you, yeah. okay, so you, you did some research, you formed this company. What'd you say? A uh, hundred cases? cases, yeah. And cases of 12. Yes, 12 okay. bottles, yeah. And initially you're like, okay, yeah, it cost this much. Was it, was it all red? Was it all yeah, Shiraz? Just, was it just all... one Syrah, that was it. One wine, one varietal, the red wine. Can, do you, can you explain the differences in, I'd like to know. Okay. Shiraz, what does that mean? So Syrah is a grape varietal that originates from the Rhone Valley. I mean, I think it originates back to like, Persian times, but like uh, it's known for coming from the Rhone Valley, which is the Rhone Valley of France, and the Rhone Valley produces Syrahs, Grenaches, Mouvets, you know. But Syrah is uh, the dominant red varietal from that region, the same way Pinot Noir is the dominant varietal from Burgundy. Or um, there's a guy named Peter Noir. <laughs> or uh, did I say Peter? <laughs> Or uh, Cabernet Sauvignon is like the main uh, varietal from Bordeaux. You have Syrah from the Rhone Valley. So, so that's what we decided to do because that's what was dominant in um, the Santa Barbara County. That, that just seemed to be what was doing well. So we started with a high quality wine and just slowly grew it from there and slowly got distributors, started selling to more restaurants. Was that the goal? Like direct and then restaurants like you know because it's like to jump to that retail level unless it's like a really small you know wine well, store like I mean there wasn't really the when I started there was no goal the goal was to just get rid of everything we made that was it and one production a year yeah exactly one harvest a year one, one production and uh, but you had the perfect name for it we had the perfect name. Marketing was already built in, you know, like all these, all these little things that you would maybe have to like put time into with the company. Um, just, we didn't have to because it was there and even, we didn't even know it, you know, it was just people are like, oh, four brothers, what's the story? And I'm like, well, it's me and my brothers. They're like, you're one of the brothers? And I'm like, yeah, they're like, oh, insane. Yeah, I'll buy your brand, you know? So it was real, you know, they were good people. Yeah, yeah, it was just, it wasn't like we were pushing it either. We were just yeah, we saying, just you like it. try yeah. this, tell me what you think. Yeah. Do you like it? Cool. You know? Damn, that is good. Oh, let me try it first. Hold um, on. This this guy over here, I don't want to... I'm a wine... Oh. Uh-huh. I'm a wine snob. Here, here. He he just likes wine. I like wine. It's, it's pretty much there. It's a lot softer than the last time I tried it. There's definitely a lot of earth still in this, which is nice. Like, I fucking more love of an it. earthy pinot, but... Tannins have softened up a lot. Like I could definitely. So this is a 
a Pinot. I haven't released it. Pinot Noir from La Encantada Vineyard. And um, it's gonna be hitting the I, restaurants and scene soon, right? It's not no, out. not well our tasting room now. So what happened was we sold to a lot of restaurants, and then I realized having a space to taste the wine and for people to come and gather was what I really wanted it yeah, because that's, that's why we really wanted tell to do the it story in the interact and yeah, and then like show wine's them. such a community type of alcohol, anyways. You know, like when you think of a really good it's bottle good, of right? wine, you think of a good meal, you think of good friends, you know, and I feel like some of some of the best dinners I've had with like some of my best friends have been around like a good bottle of wine where you're just talking and laughing and talking and yeah. laughing and um, so that that's where we just love wine and that that's the romanticism of it. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So um, having a space for people to come to, it's an extension of that. And uh, so I've cut out a lot of restaurants. I still sell to the old place in Cornell Winery because they're the originals. But um, so direct like memberships, people come and do that. Our, and like our wine club, wine club, our tasting room, and then maybe five house accounts, and that's it. Everyone's yeah. pushed through that, and our wine club's growing every day. It's it's. So it's like, did you say you're working with distributors? No, none, no distributors. So it's just all you. And your company selling directly mm -hmm. to a yep. handful of accounts, restaurants. No, 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 no only, more restaurants. only five restaurants. It's all direct to consumer now. Wow. It's all online through the tasting room or through our wine club. So you essentially have to almost like know about it to get it, or you have to interact with us in person, which is yeah. what I want, you know? Yeah. Well, there's so much, you know, competition out there, you know, yes. uh, you know, to, you know, yeah. To, to, to work that restaurant distribution or, you know, you have reps or you have an agent, you know, you sell yeah, it to somebody else. It's a, it's a grind. It's gnarly. But, like, ultimately, yeah, like, the best experience is when you get to go to the tasting room. Like, we go up to Napa or mm -hmm. we go up to, you know, we'll try to go, me and my wife. And we just love to hear the people's stories, you know, yeah, yeah. and get something that you can't find at the stores. It's like... Yeah. I don't want to, you know, like not that those are bad brands or they're not cool because there's some really cool big brands and tours and story mm -hmm. and history. But it's like, let's go find some stuff that, you know, we don't know about. Let's go yeah, find right. something That's new and support somebody small. And mm -hmm. it's just a little bit more intimate and stuff. And it's a fun, you know, it's a fun day. Yeah. Fun experience. It's all about it's it's what's crazy is consumers, people. They, they want to find something on their own, right? Like yeah. the discovery of, of a good bottle of wine. And that discovery is, is like the story behind that brand, right? right. And yeah, I mean, word, it's, it's word everything. Mouth. Like, you know, you have a cocktail party or a dinner party and like, oh, what's this? Oh, yeah, we went to the school winery. And then that's the But that, the, 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 network. the story behind everything be it clothing, be it, you know, whatever, right. music, whatever. Yeah. Widgets. Right. The story is what sells the brand, right? Without a doubt. And But you have to have good product to back up. First. Yeah. You gotta have good you have to have good first. product first and a great right. story yes. too. Right. But the great story is what sells the good product, right? Yes. Yeah. Like you have to have the story first to get, I mean, you have to have great product but the story has to be to get people yeah, hooked. The, the, the it's hand in hand. It, 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 it is and hand in hand. With yeah. four brothers, like 
like like you said, you know, when you had that appointment with somebody, oh, it's four brothers wine. I'm one of the brothers, and the guy's like, oh shit, we'll buy it. Yeah, you know, like because of that little detail of you yes. being a brother in this four brothers wine. That's cool, right? right. Yeah. And yeah. for us in this podcast, that's really cool. But what's really cool is you're a fucking surfer. Yeah, <laughs> right. At the end of the day, first yeah. of all. And, and that and that goes back to like yeah you're telling your story and it's like hey I didn't grow up in this wine world and it's not generational and I didn't do this I'm a so you know yeah, like yeah. and that's kind of more appreciative too like hey let's guys find his passion he's you know yeah. it doesn't matter where you you come from you know necessarily as long as you're putting out you're a good person you're putting out a good product but you're a little bit more interesting than I think some of the or your family story and, and yeah. it, it's got a little bit more depth than just. You know, hey, we're we just decided to make a wine brand. You know, like hey, I was living in Malibu or had a, a you know, I was doing my own harvesting, like all those little details. So, like, yeah. mean that you went through the process and didn't just have oh, I got some backers, we have a bunch of money, and we're just buying, you know, like which oh, without happens, a doubt, which, which happens a lot. lot. I mean, know? that's that's the majority. Like, of how, it's a big it's a big business. Like people yeah. go in there with intentions of I'm just doing this to make money, and you're doing it for passion and right. And family. going back to the beginning of the show. Before we started recording, you told us how you got the nickname Duke. Yeah. Tell us what how you got the nickname okay. Duke. That's a great story. So, it's a great story. So in middle school, I uh, we had to choose our special person's report. You do report on a special person, which is mostly presidents or some so, celebrity or you know people chose Abraham Lincoln or you know George Washington or who is a special person. And for me, I chose Duke Kahanamoku. The you know the father the father the godfather of surfing, yeah. but also there was more to him. Like I was excited to share the he's story. He's ambassador of Aloha. He was an Olympian too. I think yeah. he's a gold medalist actually. Yeah. Gold medalist yeah. swimmer. Yeah. Swimmer. Yeah. So like not only that, he was an Olympian. He wasn't just the father of Aloha and one of the first or not one of the first surfers, but one of the first people to you know show the world surfing. Yeah. Um, so for me, being obsessed with surfing, this was my special person, my guy, especially with my mom coming from Hawaii, that whole heritage. Yeah. So I did go to present my report, and I go, hi, my name's Chris Blassman, and my special report today is on Duke Kahanamoku. And the whole class laughs, because they're like, who the fuck is Duke? I've heard the name yeah. Duke, but Kahanamoku? What yeah, so first of all, that? they're all laughing at me because they never heard of the guy. Second of all, it doesn't even sound like a real word. Like They're like, what is this guy saying? Yeah. So through the whole report, I just get teased and laughed at um, that this was the funniest thing they ever heard. So The, the Hawaiian me, John Wayne. The yeah. Hawaiian John Wayne, yeah. <laughs> the original. Yeah. 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 Well, what's funny now, because I mean, we'll have to do a part two with all the cowboy stuff I yeah. do now. But that the cowboy... I was going to lead into that. But but all my cowboy friends think it's because of John Wayne. And I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's the surfer. So I'm a fucking surfer. So they, in middle fucking school, surfer. to tease me, the kids would call me Duke. What's up, Duke? And like, throw me a shotgun. <laughs> like, hang loose, bro. What's up, Duke? Yeah. At a school that's yes. not like from the surf community. Yeah. So no surfers. Just, there was no surfers. Like, what? Yes. No like, surfers. So it was hilarious to them. Kahana, what? Kahana, how yeah. So yeah. it was an easy, you know, kids look for any excuse to tease you. So that was it. I was teased and called Duke. And to me, I was like embarrassed. Anyone would call me Duke in middle school. I'd be like, this is so embarrassing. But then when you go from middle school, which is, you know, a smaller school, you go to high school, which is all these schools funneled into a big school. People would be like, oh, who's that kid? And someone from my school would be like, that's Duke. And then which those kids. Which is kind of a fucking badass thing. Like, yeah. Now that I'm an adult, I love it. But uh, yeah. as a kid, I was like, oh, God. So... 
there were people who genuinely, it took them years to be like, wait, your name is not Duke? And I'm like, no, my real name's Chris. They just call me Duke to tease me. And they're like, everyone calls you Duke. I just thought your name was Duke, you know? And I'm like, no. So I still have friends from high school and whatnot that call me Duke. And they're just like, hey, what's up, Duke? So um, it's been a nickname since, you know, yeah. middle school, which is... It's so rad. Which is great. <laughs> my, Our my, show is all about... My, my son's name is Duke, and it's not a nickname because, you know, we named him... Yeah. Which is an which is an incredible. Yeah. Name. I wish yeah. I was named. You have to live up to that name. He does. He's yeah. got some big yeah. shoes to fill for sure. So, <laughs> and I have another friend who named his son Duke after John Wayne yeah. because Duke. He was like, "You're the Duke," like yeah. meaning you're this big, strong cowboy. But yeah. for surfers, it's yeah. so. Let's segue into the cowboy persona. Like, oh man, yeah, but that's something I discovered. So. My wife and I, seven years ago, we moved up to the San Inez Valley because, one, we wanted to get out of L.A. I was already doing wine up there. I had Four Brothers Wine Company. My wife had grown up riding horses, so she had horses. We had horses in Topanga Canyon, which is a terrible place to keep horses with just fires and how, you know, the, the landscape is, a lot of hills and rocks and whatnot. So we kind of made the, the decision while our kids were young to move up to um, Los Olivos, which is where our tasting room is, but to move up there. Beautiful and country. And have space. It's beautiful, open country. And the focus up there is either you're a rancher or you do wine. And for me, I wanted, I was already doing wine, but I wanted to get into that cowboy community type thing. And um, the best way to describe all that cowboy stuff I do. So now I like, I team rope, like I compete in the Santa Barbara Fiesta Rodeo every year. Wow. I do raining cow horse shows, like full on, fully into it. Like I've got a two-year-old that I'm bringing up. Oh yeah, dude, that's just part of the program. It's like asking a surfer if he has a leash. But, yeah. But that's, but that's so, so that's a great comparison. So I've talked to Chris Malloy about this. So, um, oh, like Chris and I have Yarning. become buddies. Yes. So, um, being authentic to like the Western heritage is very similar to being authentic to the surfing community. Yeah. You can be on the beach. You can look at a guy a hundred yards away and just by the way he's carrying his board, you can say that guy's a kook. Yeah. Didn't I don't need to have this I don't need to Yeah. We and just had this conversation, I think, right? I with think uh, so. did you? With uh, Luke Cederman. Yeah. Yeah, but the but the cowboy world same thing. is very like, much the same. Yeah. You know that guy. You can like, look at a cowboy right. from right away. Yeah, you're like, that's not a cowboy. Yeah. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's my boyfriend. He's a hardcore cowboy. You're like, he's not, he's a kook. Yeah. And with surfing, it's the same it's so thing. Yeah. And you can, it takes one to know one. Yeah. And that's where, um, like Chris and I have talked about, because obviously he grew up surfing. Well, Chris kind of grew up doing both, but he kind of hid, I think, the ranching side of his life when, you know, surfing took over and then moving to Hawaii and all that. But um, we've talked about it later in life is um, you want to be accepted like uh, the same way you want to be accepted by local Hawaiians. You want to be accepted in that cowboy community. You got to pay your dues, but you have to learn and it takes time to almost how to be invisible in a weird way. Like you're almost like... You're not showboating. You're just kind of like under the radar. You go through those phases to where people look at you from 100 yards away and they're like, oh, that's a cowboy. That's a surfer. You know, like you're accepted. And it's the same thing, but that takes time. You got to put time in it. And it took years for me too to finally be like, oh, that hat I was wearing. Like I look back at it now. So like comical. Like what? Like I was such a kook. I must have stood out, you know? And, And those cowboys, I had a few guys that 
were good at protecting me and being like, don't wear that hat. But, you know, same way if you take a friend surfing, you're like, dude, don't, don't do that with your board. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, hey, don't wear your flip-flops down to the water. Just, don't put your leash just on Just to, you, you know. Don't put yeah. your leash on the front foot. <laughs> yeah, don't put your leash on the front foot. Like, hey, dude, you've got your wetsuit and your sunglasses on. Like, where, what are you doing? You know, yeah. like, like weird things like that where you're just kind of like. Little nuances. You, yeah, like you can protect the, yeah. the person. And that's that's kind of, I'm lucky enough now that I feel like I've been protected and I've got to show up with your brand new spanking boots, make sure they're worn in. Yeah. You know, like, all that little <laughs> stuff, or like your high water skinny jeans with, you know, your cowboy boots with your shiny pointy toes. Yeah, look a little grungy. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta so, look authentic. So your um, office, or not office, your, your uh, tasting room, when did you open that up? So I opened that. Um, 2000 wait let me think here i think the end of 2019 so it was covid was still going on and i opened and then was shut down two months later and then i think i was shut down for two months then got to reopen with like limited you know outside seating only type yeah. thing so open such a COVID. beautiful spot but i I'm got so to lucky. Uh, check it check it yeah, yeah and met up with uh yeah. duke there uh what is that last year summertime couple months ago summertime yeah yeah but it was i was i was so lucky to get that space and then i had enough outdoor seating and it's a beautiful spot and we're just doing so much like cool stuff through that tasting room now where it just gives me an avenue to not only like showcase my family my brothers you know our love for surfing and wine and the cowboy heritage and all that it's all rolled into one package now which is which is what i always wanted yeah you know so it's pretty cool where do you surf up there? Uh, that's a good question. So um, when you can, you know, you try to surf Hollister Ranch um, or, you know, during the summertime, you try to go to the islands. Um, but I would say if you just want to surf, like Halama's kind of the most consistent go-to spot. Always picks up everything. There's swell. always swell, you know. Um, shark. Yeah, yeah, a little sharky. The whole region's a little sharky, but... Um, and cold and cold so i don't surf as much that's the thing you you don't surf as much but when you do you try to make a day out of it so if i surf one day out of the month and i can go out to the islands and spend the whole day out there it's kind of like a one day surf trip yeah and you really get your fix you get good waves and it's uncrowded what what boards are you riding so i've got um obviously i've got everything you know everything that's been sitting in my garage collecting dust but lately I've got a board that a friend of mine John Monroy shaped for me Albatross surfboards Mm. he's kind of like um, starting to be like a little bit of an up and coming alternative shaper and uh, a little bit of mid length yeah he's not even like hip or mid length he's just trying to like sounds kind of hip to me Albatross Albatross yeah he's trying to make like boards for 40 year olds that used to rip that don't like rip as much anymore so more volume in the nose yeah he said 40 is not 60s (laughs) (laughs) tail's a little bit more pulled in it's like a 2 plus 1 like type of situation he's speaking my language 2 plus 1 yeah so but uh (laughs) It's, uh, you know, and then I've got like a fucking everything from like a Christensen shortboard to a Pizel shortboard. I've got so much. I obsess over boards. I buy them. I surf them once and they sit in my garage for years until I either sell them or like figure out who to give them to. Is like, hey, dude, you want this thing? And they're like, what? No way. Um, boards? I mean, they're... 
they're attractive and it's easy to oh yeah. easy gosh. easy to you look know. at this place that we're in. Yeah, check out Doc's board. Look at this I know board. this is like this is a, lot, a lot of beautiful boards in here already. I was like, I want that. I want yeah. that. But um, you know, growing up in LA County, it was different though. Like, I mean, Huntington Beach, I feel like short borders were like it was strong. Yeah, you but, didn't. We didn't really have to go alternative because there's always waves. But you know, we I the mean, alternative thing is has come onto the scene everywhere. I mean, Orange everywhere, County. but later on. Yeah, yeah. not when we were kids. No way. Yeah. Like, not not when you're kids. When you're kids, it was shortboard. Yeah, I remember. I still had my single fin. I had Doc, and I'm like, man, I just, you know, from writing, you know, '70s contest boards or whatever, and I'm like, oh, I want like, can you shape me a single fin? You shape me a single single fin, and I traveled with it like in a lot of places. I'm like, I'm just fucking throwing that thing in because yeah. it's so fun. Yeah. You know. It's your downtime board. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, just to change it up, and I think it's just kind of you. Know, you want to stay psyched and inspired, and kind of not yeah. get you know, like I don't want to go out and you know, you just got to change it up. And I think you, now you have to change it up. Now I think it's you know, like if I had a quiver of 10, 15 boards in my garage, they were pretty much all the same except in different lengths. And now it's like, yeah, there's two-in-ones and now there's mid-lengthers and now there's like you know fat wide and fishes and you know like step there's a little bit of everything yeah there's a little bit of everything. and i think that's not just me yet speaking i think that's what everybody's well the boards like, have progressed a lot like too now. though like you can ride stuff that's a little bit more volume or wider or that two plus one yeah and the feel is still comfortable yeah. it's not like remember in the beginning like every twin fin was a keel you know had these glassed on keel fins and you were like oh my god what the fuck like i got stuck <laughs> on twin fin round nose fishes for fucking years. a couple years mm -hmm. and then i finally realized i can't surf backside <laughs> They're so hard to oh surf backside. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you go really fast. Are you straight foot or regular? I'm yeah. regular foot. Yeah. But for backside, for those, for the twin fins, were like, it was a different. You know, yeah. you had to like, you just had to go straight. You had to well, you had He's to like really <laughs> squat and and widen your stance to go backside and grab the rail and grab and, the rail. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're fast, and then you go on rail, and you're like, wait, it has no bite. It does, yeah. You know, like it's you just gonna skip out. Yeah, it's like, oh man, you got to really yeah. kind of change the way you surf and really plan ahead, and yeah, yeah, get super low, grab that rail, and make sure you're like, you got that bite. And it's like, I don't know, it's fun in some waves, and there's days where you shouldn't be riding, and there's days yeah. you should, and that's where it comes down yeah, down to just being knowledgeable of like. Yeah. You know, the conditions and what what you know is going to, I mean, essentially, yeah. I mean, what's going to go fast. All my friends were longboarders growing up. Like, my brothers and I, we shortboarded. And, like, the IG guys, they shortboarded, but they were all older. But everyone from my age group and a little bit younger were all, like, like Chad and Tracy Marshall. Marshall those yeah. Like, they were, you know, some are of the Are they from the Girl Hills, too? Yeah. Some nice. of us, like, Cassie mattered. Like, Cassie's still a dear friend. And yeah. she's... What she's done in the women's circuit industry is incredible. Like she's still Did forty. Did she come out with a new wetsuit brand or something? She's like had it for a while. Okay. But she's got a wetsuit brand. She's doing like surf retreats. She does coaching. She does so much. You know, awesome. like like the fact that she's still just a surfer. You know, is yeah. is amazing. You know, there's so it was just when I was younger, we kind of had options to ride a bunch of different stuff. I mean, Zuma's. Well, yeah, you got point breaks and you got like you know, different types of waves that's, you know, un, unlike what we have down here. It's like a jetty and a closed out beach break and maybe a yeah. few, you know, like our closest, you know, reef breaks are either Laguna or, 
you know, like lower, right. you know, and or Dana Point and yeah. stuff. But like up there, like if you have those waves around, variety. you would, yeah. you're gonna yeah. like, I would have a longboard up there for sure. Like, you yeah. know, like yeah, you gotta, I would you have, kinda, a, you kind of need everything. Like you, you can't show up to First Point Malibu, like, and it's waist high. And you have your, you know, high performance shortboard. You're like, yeah. what the fuck? Like, no. you're not going to get you're gonna your get around. Also, and you're just gonna get, get out of here. You pissed. know. So, four brothers wine, and you got other gear coming out. Yeah. So, 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 so the Should wine. We talk about the wine is growing. Wine's doing amazing. Um, I just had a friend up in San Inez, my buddy Albi, who's this Italian guy. He started roasting coffee for me. So now I'm just messing around with a little Four Brothers uh, like coffee roaster company that um, I'm just kind of doing for the holidays right now and um, seeing how that goes. I'd love to just eventually do our own brand of coffee, like a Four Brothers Coffee Co. And, you know, make it very hip and cool and maybe put some like functional mushrooms in there and some turmeric or something, you know. yeah, we do candles. We recycle all of our wine bottles. And oh, I've got a guy. He, it's a wine bottle. Yeah, so he takes our wine bottles, shaves them, and it's a full soy candle and refills our bottles. And then we recycle and sell them. So we're recycling all our wine bottles and making them into candles. So a lot going on. That's yeah. really cool. Like, yeah. add, add to that like candle store. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. it's a wine bottle. It's recycled. It's, you know, good yeah it's 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 cool and so it's funny like the candles i've actually got one wholesale account that actually buys the four brother candles and sells them in their store and i'm like oh it smell like sex wax or bubble gum or um i've been tempted right to do just the old school like bubble gum surf wax or you know kangaroo goo or i know the ladies wouldn't like that well i don't know maybe some of they do like the way the surfers smell you know yeah but the um beeswax call it call it bedroom wall or something Like yeah. Four brothers' bedroom wall. Yeah, right. yeah. So, Duke's yeah. wall. Yeah, yeah, my parents were happy about that. Just waxing the whole side of my bedroom wall. Like, ah, there we go. So I'm surprised I didn't do that because that sounds amazing. Yeah. 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 Like, why didn't we wax our walls when we were younger? Because my parents would have freaked the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, no, they freaked out. Trust me, it was. Yeah, it was not cool, but that's what it was. It's like the best smelling fucking thing around. Well, that's, it, I mean, it, for us... Because we're such, like, fans of surfing and yeah. everything... I mean, it sounds like an art installation now. Like, you just have one room in your wall that is just fucking waxed the whole yeah. thing. And people are like, what am I looking at here? You're like, do you smell that? The so smallest insignificant thing in surfing that we don't put that much, like, weight on is wax, right? Like, like our it's one of the last... Like wax. It's like the best freaking It's the best wax, wax ever. Right? Yeah. But, you know, sex wax. I talk about gum. that all the time with surfers. I'm like, you'll have a fucking $1,200 surfboard. And you're like, hey, dude, you got any wax? Or like, oh, you couldn't afford the $2.50 for <laughs> no, wax. It's but fucking hilarious, It's right? so weird. It's like, we, we never have wax. What the hell is it with surfers? Yeah. We never have wax. Yeah. And you know, we do now because we're sponsored. Because you got a yeah, sponsor. Sponsored. No, but it's... By wax. It is so <laughs> important, but it gets so overlooked, you know? Like, it's as so far as, like... Yeah. Yeah, when like, you when you whip out the food, people like because I have it on me with their response, and my grom surfs a lot, and kids are like you got any wax, and they, as soon as they see the bar, they're like, is that foo? Yeah. I'm like, they're like, okay, I'll only use a little bit. Like it's so rare and expensive. Yeah. Like they're like, okay, can I just use a little bit? Is Where it that could, cr- I've never used it. I mean, I know about it. If there's like something else, they would have been just yeah. like whatever, and then toss it. And like they 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 they, they wax it and they put it back. Okay, here. 
Like I'm like, I flirt wow, with all the time. I respect it. We, yeah. I mean, it's there's, there's great it wax. Is, right? There's yeah. great yeah. wax out there, but foo wax is is different. It's there's the like something different about foo wax. Yeah. yeah. But um, we grew up with shitty wetsuits and shitty wax for the most part. Dude, yeah. sex wax. Sex wax was good, but it. Like they didn't the have smell purple. of it. They like, didn't have pur- uh, purple back then. No, they didn't. No, you know, was... you, you had to go orange or, or green depending on where you lived. And plus, like your... the wax back then, like got so hard so fast that, yeah. like, even you know, it's that's like... what she said. <laughs> hey, you gotta cut so that out. So hard, so fast. <laughs> sex wax. So hard, so fast. Hey, I I gotta wrap up. I got Christmas dinner, um, bro. I know. We, you know, we've been going for how long? Two forty-five. Yeah. No. <laughs> But two, no, we, two hours longer than I thought we were going to go. No, <laughs> not even. But and we're kind of not really finished. Okay, let's wrap it up, right? Yeah, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, yeah I think we, we should wrap it up. Okay. I got, I got up. stuff, and, and and this isn't a Jay's, one-time Jay's deal. Yeah. Now, yeah, this is when when you got a product you want to launch, you come back on and talk about more. Yeah, bring, I mean, you got I so much more to talk bro- about. I'll bring Maybe. a brother next time. Yeah, yeah, or your or your wife, and talk about her yeah. clothing and everything. Like absolutely, and we yeah. love it. This is awesome. So what do you we love this. What do you want to talk about? Our sponsors? Do you like to swim? Do yeah, you, want you like to skate? Do you want like so inviting right here? Not everybody could see because not everybody's on YouTube, which you should be going to our YouTube channel. Caballero Pools and Spas. Yep, thank um, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to Earth Pack. They make uh, uh, sustainable packaging. Yep, all your, all your packaging needs. Dude, check that out. Hobie, Spiders, nice. just a couple examples. So most of this is their shop. Uh, gift bags. Um, who else you guys got? want to thank Shade, you. Shade, Strider. Shade, Strider. I love Strider. Strider's the man. Yeah, Strider's, Strider's the man. Yeah, what, a, um, what a generous dude. You don't have any bonsai bowls up there, but you know, next time. Oh, I have some though. You're down here. I'm sure you come down yeah. to SoCal. Yeah. You got to eat for uh, a huge Asahi Bowl fan. Yeah, One so. thing, hey, shout anyone in the, who wants to open a business in the Tanianas Valley, dude, we're missing Asahi Bowls. No one's done it yet. So. Wow. Yeah. That's it. Well, Someone's got to capitalize. We're going to have to uh, let oh, Mr. Uh, Bard. Bonsai Bard know about that. Oh, rad. Uh, we're also sponsored by Loose Towels. Yep. Um, nice. Ponchos and, and beach towels. Very They've cool. got outdoor towels, yeah. fishing towels, gym towels, and coming out in 24 barbecue towels. Barbecue towels. Yep. For oh. your chefs and stuff. Yeah. So, or just your outdoor, you know, BBQ. And we just picked up. Uh, well, we, we had uh, Robert Colby, Rob Colby, yep. who is um, an entrepreneur himself, lived in Santa Barbara for a little bit. He's a Seal Beach guy, okay. but he went to UCSB and started his own. He had companies name? before, but he's got a, a direct-to-consumer company called Colby Plus. It's a oh, cool. Yamamoto make, rubber, like oh, the wow. sickest jersey, buttery oh, soft. Damn. like so. Custom suits without the markup of like big name labels and cutting out the middlemen, kind oh, of like yeah. where you're tasting your room, you're like, yeah. you know, consumer yeah. to, um, you know, pharmacy. support brick and mortar. Oh, yeah. I'm, all, I'm all about that. Yeah. yeah. I got to order a wetsuit for a while. Yeah, you do. And um, you could get a deal suits. through uh, a new winter suit. So. Yeah. And then they do, night they do chocolate. like killer um, travel bags oh, cool. too. So wet like dry. when you're going out to the islands and you want a wet dry bag that's mm-hmm. all sealed and stuff, yeah, that, yeah you know, for, for yeah. boating and Have and you traveling. tried cold plunges yet? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got oh, he a like cold to... plunge company. Yeah. Santa oh, really? Barbara Ice Plunge. 
Ice San- baths. Ice bath. Santa okay. Barbara ice bath. Yeah. A lot of those so he makes amazing. Yeah. 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 But his is proper. Nice. Um, and then this neon wave, um, they're a shop on the East Coast snowboard. Okay. It's a boutique. Cool. Surf, skate, yeah. snow. Um, every time you buy $50 and over, you can get a late night with chalky hat. Uh, with every $50 purchase, right? Uh, enter late night with or just late night, right? Yeah, late night, keep it, keep it simple. Yeah. They don't need the chalky on there, yeah. just keep it late night. Yeah, you guys, are, you guys are racking up the sponsors, <laughs> dude. And you, got, you got more sponsors, we got to diversify your, hey, the portfolio. Yeah. We, we might have a wine sponsor, we have a wine sponsor, we have a wine sponsor, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, we're, we're, we're inked. You got, you got your box, yeah. we're inked. We're inked on that. Hey, yeah. yeah, thank you so much for bringing us a case of wine, dude. That's unbelievable. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You didn't have to. That's really much appreciated. No, we got the holidays and coming up. And opening up your, your you newest do. release. Take it home with you. Take um, it, take yeah. it to the family. Pinot Noir 2022. Just going to be hitting their tasting room. Yeah, right that's now. my newest wine. So, it's uh, delish. And yeah. uh, shoots beer. Shoots. You know? Nice. We love beer. Ashland Hard Seltzers. Yeah. We like alcohol, as you can see. Yeah, you guys are going, man. Yeah, we, got, we got a lot. We're, Clear weather brand. Yeah, look at these shoes. Clear weather. These oh, are man. Sick. Like, just, they got a buttery <laughs> cushion inside. Oh, they got, dude. If you skate, do, do, you they, uh, do yeah. they do kids too? Yeah. Um, I don't know, kids. I think they might go down to fives or sixes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's not really a kid. That's young, okay. I'm young a kid. Boy. Yeah. 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 We'll get you I'm laced up. I'm a kid. Up. I still skateboard. Yeah. Let's do it. We'll get you laced up for sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, we couldn't do the show without all of our sponsors. And, and more importantly, without our guests, we're just a couple knuckleheads. But yeah. we really appreciate um, so talented people coming on. And Is it? fourbrotherswine.com yes fourbrotherswine.com you can shop there and visit our tasting room man come say hello to me we're right in the heart of Los Olivos and that's where our tasting room is you'll find me there most days I'm always Instagram handle is the same too uh, Instagram handle is at fourbrotherswineco and you can kind of see what we got going on there yeah. it's a good time So it's an amazing time I wish we gotta take the families up there. Yeah, my wife's got a bunch of um, family up in the Tescadero area. Yeah, and, that's and right. Stuff. There. So um, we, yeah, I don't know when next time we're visiting there. Yeah, but yeah. We've, we're family we've friendly. Up, friendly. Yeah, we hit up a bunch family of wineries up there friendly. in the past. But yeah, um, thank you. Uh, it's been amazing. Yeah, yeah. thank you guys. I'm yeah. stoked. Yeah. Peace. Yeah. Booyah. Four Brothers Wine Company. Peace. Bonsai Bulls, hands down the best bulls. Period. Seven locations, two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bowls, go get some. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen, the best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen, it's been around since the sun. Shade Shade Sunscreen. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Fuwax. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word.
Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.